Welcome to the Fun Time Program. I'm your host, Vivica Volt, and this is my co-host, John Andrew Fredrickson. And today we have a very special guest in studio, Dean Frolics. Hi, everyone. Hi, Dean. Hi, I'm Dean. My pronouns are Z here, here's, and they, them, theirs. Yay! Awesome. So tell us about yourself, Dean. Oh my God. Where do I start? Well, uh, are you originally from New York? I am not. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, At the age of seven, my parents took me and my siblings to Palestine slash Israel, where we lived for 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, So do you speak Hebrew? I do. Oh, you know what? What? Here's a great question for you. Uh, How do you say Happy New Year in uh, Hebrew? Because I always say Shana Tova, but I don't know that I'm saying it correctly. That's how you say it. Shana Tova. Okay. Well, then all of the like super orthodox Hasidic people that I pass by are just ignoring me just to ignore me. (laughs) They're either ignoring you just to ignore you or they're they like aren't registering what's happening until you've long since passed. Because like I like the last like two years, possibly three in a row, I've like gone through the like Hasidic neighborhood, like completely on accident on New Year's, like on like Jewish New Year's and like everybody's like out in the streets and everything. And so what I'll do is like as I'm like riding past and like my music is still blaring, but like I'll turn it down a little bit so that they can hear me and I'll be yelling, Shana Tova, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. And like every year and like I'm saying this to hundreds of people and it's always less than five people that respond to me. I might recommend that you try that in a less Hasidic neighborhood next yeah. time. But Crown uh, Heights, people will probably respond. A couple like in Crown Heights this year, someone did respond and like he was still like clearly Jewish and like was wearing like the garb, but he wasn't like Hasidic. Yeah. And uh, it was a younger guy, too. He looked like he was like in his like late 20s, maybe early 30s. And I passed by and was like, Shana Tova. And he was like, oh, and uh, I stopped at a red light and he like walked up to me because like he was walking as I was passing by. And he was like, oh, by the way, thank you. <laughs> That's like, so sweet. That's sweet. Yeah, no, wow. It's cute. It was real cute. I like it. So you speak Hebrew. You lived in Israel uh, slash Palestine for 10 years. So when did you come to New York or like what brought you here? Wait, can I ask, what do you mean slash Palestine? You lived in Palestine as well? uh, Well, I lived in Israel, but the state of Israel is Palestine, Palestinian territory. Okay. Um, I make sure to say Palestine, Israel as often as I can to acknowledge the fact that Israel is also stolen land. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my like, what was that like for you? Did you have that perspective when you lived there? No. Um, well, I was there from the age of seven to 17. Um, growing up, there's a lot of, like growing up in Israel. There's a lot of us versus them that happens in, you know, the, the culture um, and discourse. It's also important that I uh, mentioned that I wasn't very dedicated to living there while I was there. Um, the entire time was like, I'm going to move back to the States. You had that feeling <laughs> yes. the whole time you were there. Yeah. Um, and therefore never really gave the place a fair shot as my mm. sister likes to remind me. Um, <laughs> she's like, you don't actually have any friends here. And I'm like, I know, I know it's true. Cause I'm not staying. Yeah. <laughs> but while I was there, it was, it was very apparent that there was, there's like, a ridiculous amount of tension between Israelis and Palestinians and Arabs. 
Um, and that was part of the reason that I like felt that I needed to leave. I was like, this place is racist as fuck. And wow. like, I have friends who are Arab and, you know, this, this ties into what we were talking about earlier, but I have friends who are not Jewish or Israeli and are, they're fucking phenomenal people. Um, and then I moved here when I was 17 and I was like, oh, America's also fucking racist. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. You moved I guess from the apartheid to the apartheid. Yeah. I was like, oh, so the issue is white supremacy. It's not a specific place. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we need to be combating. Yeah. Um, and dismantling. Love that. Yeah. Do you feel that the issue in Israel was white supremacy specifically? Um, I don't think they call it white supremacy, but I think that white supremacy is the, the Driving core. Factor. Yeah, yeah. The core of all of these things. Hmm. Colonization. Um, yeah. And we may wrap it up with other excuses or stories, right? Like, well, well, well is it white supremacy even if they're not white? Because not all Jews are white. Well, this is, I mean, I guess it's, it's and also Palestinians aren't kind white. Kind of a differentiation between like white supremacy and colonization because most colonizers are of white lineage, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be white to be a colonizer. Yeah. But do you have to be white to be a white supremacist, I guess? No. no. Interesting. No. So white supremacy is a concept. It's, yes. it's, it's a set of actions. It's a set of ideology that can be adhered to by anyone and can be uh, enforced by people who aren't necessarily of a specific race. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this in the background uh, a few days ago that the Proud Boys have uh, plenty of POC members, but you can be a POC. I, I'm, I'm still really trying to wrap my head around the Proud Boys. I don't understand the organization. It doesn't make any sense to me, uh, other than the, the fact that like they're just a bunch of angry Angry men. <laughs> yeah, they're a bunch of angry bigots. That's, that's Only men, though, right? Like, yep. it's not like you yep. have like women in the Proud Boys. You're like, yeah, we're you, proud women. Or is there is there like a, a female no segment? Girls allowed? Yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah, they absolutely. Do. You absolutely literally fine. like their meetings. They are not allowed to bring women to the meetings, and you have to take uh, a no masturbation. Like they're not allowed to masturbate if you yeah. become a proud boy. See that that it's, that's a big red flag right there for me. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> sounds like an abusive relationship. It sounds like a cult. <laughs> so I moved here because I really wanted to move here. Right. Um, was it was it American culture that you were kind of mm, consuming and media, yeah. or was it just because you'd had that experience up until you were seven and yeah. you kind of identified with the states more and you felt like an outsider in Israel? I mean, as so I'm 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 very white and. People like and I read as, you know, a middle American, whatever, um, and choosing to present more queer also just kind of pushes that specific narrative. But as a dual citizen, I mean, it's been 10 years that I've been here now. So the, this experience is very different. But um, the first few years of being back here, I felt just out of just as out of place here as I did while I was living in Israel. Um, Where did you move to at that point? Brooklyn. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been in Brooklyn for going on 10 years now. What brought you to Brooklyn specifically? Um, at the time, a, a couple years before I moved here. So in, I want to say 2009, maybe, um, I met a good Jewish boy. Of course you did. Of course I did. And this we, was before you moved to yes. Brooklyn? Yeah. So it you was, came here for a boy? I came here for a 
I came here for a boy and I put this in quotation marks because <laughs> he was an it, excuse. It was an excuse. Yes. Okay. Um, you took an excuse. As a 17 year old, my parents were more likely to be okay with me moving to a foreign country if I had a partner and my partner's family. Yes. That makes <laughs> as sense. opposed to, hey, folks, I'm bouncing. Right. Yeah. Which I did. Um, but yeah, I moved here with the intention of going to and finishing college here in New York. Nice. Um, which I will be done with within the next couple of months and then wow. I can leave. So wait, are you, are you like done with New York? I'm, I'm done with New York. No. I don't know when I'm going to be gone. Stop right there. We only interview people who are pro New York. You on know this what? Show. You know what? This I is a pro this. New no, York I, space. How dare no. you? How dare you come this, on hold here? Hold on a second. <laughs> hold on. I'm not anti-New York. I'm just <laughs> done with New York. I love this place. Okay. All right. I'll accept. No, no, no. I love New York. If you're not willing to rock your Tim's, your fitted and your I heart New York shirt and your fucking North face, get out. Get out. Vivica. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, all right. You got it. All right. You I'll got accept. it. I'll I'll accept. You got I'll it. Accept. I love New York. <laughs> it's awful, but it's also amazing. <laughs> it's going to be the most difficult breakup of my life. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. This city is really difficult. I think it's probably. I think part of the reason it's so difficult to break up with this city is because it is an abusive relationship it to is. be in this fucking city. It's just it. Living in the city feels like a partner who's just feeding you lines of coke all the time. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. My goddamn heart. Well, we just got our, our headline for the for the show right there. So uh, we can call it a call it a wrap. <laughs> we got our sound bite. We got our sound bite. Perfect. That was a great analogy. Yep. I'm, I'm going to roll with that. I like great. that. Yeah, that's, that's what it feels Pretty like. Pretty fucking accurate. Yeah, that's standard. I'm still in my denial phase, so I'm 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 not admitting it yet, but I am loving New York. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I've been here long enough that I'm like, yeah, I love this city, but God, it fucking hurts to live here. Right. It's great, but fuck. <laughs> Look, when you want to get up and move with me. Where are you trying to move to? anywhere but here so belize perfect because i already have looked into places in belize uh rent is actually pretty cheap we can get a really great two-bedroom yeah. apartment for like 600 a fucking month it's really great plus we have the ocean we can go scuba diving snorkeling we can teach scuba diving it's, really it's happening y'all uh -huh. right now so i mean this pandemic has, has taught so many people that you do not need to be tied into a high cost of living area that you can really prioritize your quality of life find a nice place to live and a nice place to enjoy the world and, and still find ways to to engage with work from there it's it's a whole new whole All new economy. All I'm saying is, if I'm gonna live in a third world country, I at least want to have a third world country where I can go snorkeling and scuba diving all the fucking time. Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. So, yeah. so you know how many plans specifically? You're just I mean, you're gonna wrap things up here and then. I mean, I have different thoughts, yeah. <laughs> which keep me up at night. <laughs> have I pursued any of them very hard? Not yet. But how has New York been influential for you? Uh, oh, would you say that your formative years were more formative in your teen years in Israel or more formative here in New York in terms of like finding your, your identity and, and, you know, connecting with yourself. So the way that I kind of describe my, um, time stamps, geographical time stamps, I was born in Baltimore. I was raised in Israel, but I grew up in New York. Yeah. Um, I have lived maybe five different lifetimes in this city. A thousand percent. Oh, yeah. I feel that so much. And I have switched maybe five different friend groups as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's that is the most incredible thing to me about New York City is that you can reinvent yourself. You can do that. Completely. I, I've done the same thing. Yeah, it's so true say, in a way. 
you can't do that in a small town because yeah. everybody knows who you are. Yep. Yeah. And you can just say, you know what? I'm I'm fucking good here. I'm just going to wrap it up, move it right along and find a whole new group of people who like support and appreciate you for who where you are at that stage. Yeah. But that's Absolutely. also so important to be able to try on different identities as, yeah. as you know, somebody who's trying to find their place in the world. It's like, you know, sometimes you feel like you need to go in one direction and then it's not working out. And it can be so hard to change directions in uh -huh. so many other places because people pigeonhole you. They say, this is who you are. And they're not willing to go along with whatever change you want to do. New York, you can do that. Yeah. That's really cool. It's really incredible. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that. Tell us more about your upbringing or like. All right. So were you like hyper religious when you like moved to Israel or it's like almost like you know that. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> my parents um were raised traditional Jewish. They went to synagogue on high holidays. Um I'm pretty sure that they both kept kosherut kept kosher um in their homes. I was raised uh an Orthodox Jew. For those of us who know the different sects I was raised yeshivish, um, which means that my, how do I describe this? Um, we're like, we're very religious, but also not Williamsburg Hasidic religious. We're like Midwood Flatbush Avenue M religious. Uh, Is there like, a chart somewhere we can like yeah, place, yeah. place that? Absolutely, we can. <laughs> um, and that chart changes based on who you're asking. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just saw a great meme the other day that had like all the different sects of Judaism, you know, the the holding their hands in the middle thing. Uh -huh. The only thing that all of the sects can agree on is that Jews for Jesus are the only real not Jews. <laughs> Jews for Jesus. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like if you're a Jew for Jesus, that like by definition makes you Christian. Yeah. Like, like that okay you know what all right i i'm still baffled by them yeah so i guess i'm glad that like every other jew is also baffled by them too i have no idea what they're doing <laughs> i keep bumping into the black israelites up in harlem fuck yes um oh wait no i can't say fuck yes because i passed by them one time and they were well they were yelling obscenities about homosexuals yeah and i, I yeah i got the same impression you with them and then i was like I'm just going to walk away because this is upsetting. It felt very fundamentalist. Yeah. 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 You can get fundamentalist in yeah. any race, any religion. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of fundamentalists, that's how I grew up. So we both had like super hyper religious backgrounds. I grew up in a cult too. Yay. <laughs> I, I know that I'm not the one doing the interviewing, but what was, <laughs> flip what, it around. <laughs> what was getting out of the cult like for you, Vivica? Yeah. So it was interesting because like, okay, so one of the most illuminating things for me uh, that actually helped me. So I knew like as a teenager that I didn't like fully subscribe to all of the like cult bullshit that they were like trying to like shove down my throat. Did you believe in God at least? I did believe in God. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, so like, I remember asking my youth group leader as a kid, I was like 16, maybe 17. And I was like, Hey, so like, you're saying that anyone who doesn't believe the word of God as it's written in the King James version of the Bible, isn't going to go to heaven. So like, we also, according to this religion, don't believe that Catholics are 
subscribing to the right religion. Yeah. So does that mean that Mother Teresa isn't going to heaven? And the this, ultimate tribalism. Right. But this is also <laughs> before we found out that Mother Teresa is actually a completely awful person. And I mean, you'd still have trouble convincing a lot of people of that. But yeah, at least we do know that in, in more concrete terms now. Yeah. So in case you didn't know, because the look on Dean's face no is telling us that you have no idea. So Mother Teresa had a uh, Kevorkian complex. Oh, what? Towards a Kevorkian yeah. complex. So, uh, Dr. Kevorkian was Dr. Death. He was the one who, uh, went to jail for assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. He was al allowing people to enable, helping people to kill themselves when they were on death's door. Um, but yeah. mother Teresa was doing it a little bit sooner. And well, she just had an obsession with the poor. Like it wasn't yeah. about helping people rise out of poverty. It was about embracing your poverty and being poor and being destitute and being miserable made you closer to God. So she helped people be more miserable, essentially. Yeah. On top of all of that, uh, she like in her uh, like towards the end of her life, she actually stated that she had stopped believing in God and she'd stopped believing in religion overall. Um, but she was continuing to do the work because like she kind of helped she kind of liked help killing people so like oh wow i haven't heard that that's that's intense yeah so like she kept doing all of these works because like again as john said she was obsessed with poor people and obsessed with being poor and then on top of that um she like legitimately kind of enjoyed helping the assisted suicides or what have you so she was a really terrible person um so and but like this was the 90s before any of that came out and she was still alive and like we didn't know that she like had a full Kevorkian complex at the time. So when I was asking like, OK, well, Mother Teresa is doing like she's dedicated her entire life to the church. She's doing all of these things and like all of the works that you're saying that like we're supposed to do. So why is she not qualified to go to heaven because she doesn't believe in God quite the same way that we do? And so that was one of the first things that dissuaded me. And then when. Uh, my mother died and mind you, I was raised by my grandmother. So when I say my mother is actually my grandmother, um, she'd been in the church every fucking Sunday, except for maybe like three Sundays when she was like super sick um, for 17 years. So 17 years, this woman is at church every Sunday, most of the time on Wednesdays. And like we're there twice on Sundays, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. We're going to church Wednesdays. We're at church again. Like she was there all the time. Right. Okay, so we didn't have the money to bury her when she died. And the church has a love fund specifically for things like this that they mm -hmm. didn't extend to us. We told them that we didn't have the money to bury her. So we were getting her cremated because we didn't have the money. And their response to that was, okay, well, we can't allow her cremated ashes to be brought into the church because from the research that our then like the pastor was doing at the time, he believes that cremation may possibly be from pagan roots. And therefore, because it's possibly from pagan roots, we can't have her cremated ashes brought into the church, even though she was more devout than the preacher himself. What and do you think was the real reason? Racism. Because we were the only black family in the church. And he was also a piece of shit. He still is. Hey, Pastor Hamilton, suck a dick. <laughs> that is awful. Yeah. So um, after that, yeah. Sorry, oh, I had. I had <laughs> you can't make me laugh. <laughs> Dean's like, that is awful. I'm over here laughing. I'm like, come on, I mean, come on, come on. 
Yeah, no, but like also I had to see him a few years ago when um, a close friend of mine died and I flew back to Ohio and he was at like his mother was my mother's best friend. So like she also went to our church. And so he came to the funeral and started talking to me and I was like, oh, you could have skipped this entire conversation because I super hate you and I like really want to punch you in the face and it's like giving me an anxiety attack to see you. But yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm up to. I bartend on private luxury yachts. You're still a pastor at a church where they're supporting you financially and you're just a leech for all the taxpayers' dollars. Cool, 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 cool. Great, great chat. Fuck off and die. Thanks. Um, that's what I said in my head, but like... Oh, you didn't actually say this because I, I was I said, living for that for a I, moment. I said half of it and then was just like, I'm going to walk away before I like I can't start a scene at this funeral, but I'm about to. And like, I'm trying to grieve and you're making me want to punch you in the dick. So um, what really did it for me was his wife picked up my mother's ashes and walked them out to my car. And like, the thing is, you're not allowed to. Like it's legally you are not allowed to touch the body of uh, someone else's family. So like it was literally illegal for her to pick up my mother's ashes without my permission. And she was just like, yeah, we can't have the ashes in the church and just picked up the urn and walked it out to my car. And so at my mother's funeral, her ashes weren't even allowed in the church that she had been at for 17 fucking years. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so why am I putting so much time, effort, and energy and dedication into a church that cannot even respect the, mm. one of their de most devout members in death? And I went back twice after that. Once, um, I went back two weeks later of my own accord. And again, I'm 19 at the time. Like, you can't tell a 19-year-old who has no parents anything. And so I went back and was just, like, trying to honor my mother's wishes and, like, was trying to, like be there just to like be there because I knew she would like me to do that and said pastor would not acknowledge that I was there like wouldn't look like look directly at me from the pulpit would not say hello to me would not acknowledge me the mm -hmm. assistant pastor got up and was like hey we're really happy to see her back here after her tragedy blah 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 pastor himself would not acknowledge me at all would not say a fucking word to me and after the sermon he was like greeting everyone because that's what he does like shakes hands with everyone literally shook hands with the person before me shook hands with the person after me act like I didn't fucking exist so I was like okay cool so you don't want me here is what I'm hearing it's mm -hmm. everything about this is you don't want me here so if this is how the pastor of this church is treating me why am I in this church yeah. and if this is how the most devout people behave, what is this religion? And so I stopped going and then I started expanding my uh, worldview and realized that it was a cult and I mm. got out. So it wasn't until after you, you had already moved to New York at this point, no? No, I was oh, still Oh, you were still, Ohio. okay, okay. I'm still in Ohio. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Still like three more years before I moved to New York. Okay. From that point. What got you out of it, Dean? My grandfather got lung cancer when I was 11. Was maybe, he here in the maybe States? a little bit before. Yeah. Um, and or maybe it was a little afterwards. It was around that time. Uh, and as a good Jewish kid, I prayed a lot, you know. And surprise, surprise, my grandfather still died. 
Um, Shocking. I know. It really is. Your prayers did nothing? They did nothing. <sighs> they did nothing. You know what? It's because you weren't devout enough. Well, see, so here's the thing. I was very fucking devout. And what I was told when I asked, I was like, are you are you kidding me right now? Like, I wasted all that energy and he's still dead. And they were like, oh, it's OK. Those prayers will be redirected to someone who really needs them. And I was like, fuck you. You don't get to reappropriate my prayers that I put out into the universe for my grandfather. Um, wow. Yeah. And that was like that was a catalyst. Um, maybe not the one. But, but definitely it, like. Yeah. Yeah. Pull the veil down just a little bit. Absolutely. I had definitely already started questioning ahead of time. I had gotten yeah. sent to the principal throughout all of elementary school for being an apicores, which is um, I never remember the exact translation into English, but a denier. Mm. Um, so it was a religious school. Are no. all schools religious schools in, in Israel? No. OK. Um, I went to a segregated school. So I was in I, I'm assigned female at birth. I went to an all girls school up until ninth grade. That's not true. I went to an all girls school up until ninth grade. And then I dropped out of multiple high schools and was put into a essentially inpatient program where I got my GED and was doing therapy like three or four times a week. Um, and, inpatient. What, what does inpatient mean? Um, so inpatient versus outpatient. Inpatient is when you stay in a space gotcha. where you're receiving treatment. Outpatient is when you are not staying in the place that you're receiving treatment, but you are going to a place to get treatment. What was the catalyst if for that? For I, I mean, I was dropping out of high schools okay. and doing fuck knows what. Um, and my parents thought I was going to die. OK, so they were like, well, you're doing this now. Um, what was that experience like in that it school? It was uh, three years of roller coasters. I got so much out of that program. It's called Sophia. Um, I got an incredible amount out of it. I learned DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. So it's real therapy. It's not just like oh, religious stuff. No, this no, no, no. The, all all of the students at this school, or ninety nine percent of us, were people who were raised Orthodox and left religion. And so the- And like, that was what got you there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, so it was a combination of like, we had dropped religion and also many of us were engaging in self-harming behaviors. Right. Um, at, like as the broad range of self-harming behaviors go, there was no like, you know, there were a couple classes that were religious studies but for the most part, they were just like, we just want you to survive your teen years and be functioning adults. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't an emphasis on like bringing us back to religion or anything like that. The emphasis was on mental health. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it was really, really incredible. And I'm in so grateful for those years. They were very difficult because as a teenager who thinks that, you know, better than everyone and is right. in an incredible amount of pain. Mm -hmm. Um it's hard to be locked in a place where you are in school from like nine to three. And then again, from like five to eight and you're not, you're like, you're not allowed to have sex in the dorms. You're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to do drugs. You have to dress in a specific way because we were in a religious neighborhood. So they, we needed to respect our neighbors. We couldn't hang out with boys in our neighborhood. There were a lot of rules that we could get grounded for. 
It sounds like you were in the Jewish version of Bob Jones University. I have no idea what that is. Okay, so it's like a fundamentalist Christian uh, university down in Greensville, South Carolina. And up until the 90s, 90s, they had a rule on their books that uh, said there was no interracial dating allowed in the 90s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Also, this school isn't accredited. And yet it was more expensive than the accredited schools. Like it was cheaper for me to go to Ohio State University than it was for me to go to Bob Jones. Um, You actually went to Bob Jones? Oh, I went there for like a music competition once and got to see the campus and was like, oh, this place is trash. Oh, by the way, they have a dating parlor, a dating parlor, because all dates must be chaperoned. So uh, they have a dating parlor so that you can have a chaperone where you sit on like little love seats, but no touching. No touchies. Like you literally cannot touch your person. So you're like sitting like about as far apart as like John and I are sitting. And like, you're just like sitting there, like looking lovingly into one another's eyes. Definitely and- not wearing that top. <laughs> no, uh, that's one of the places where titties. You got your ASMR down. I must say. Wow. Uh, so yeah that was one of the places where uh, women aren't allowed to wear shirts that are more than uh, three in or three fingers below their collarbones how many fingers is this shirt which shirt yours or Vivica's I mean mine's mine can be as many as you want it to be (laughs) is my cleavage deeper than hers right now 12 12 fingers I'm 12 fingers you are four times over the limit lady I'm actually 12 and a finger so 13 Lucky number 13. So you must leave. Ah, Bob Jones, not here. I must, here. I, I must leave the Bob Jones. I, I am not allowed to the Bob Jones. Also, all of my clothes are too tight because you can't pinch an inch. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Excuse me? Yeah, you have to be able to pinch an inch off of your, like, yeah. So technically, your shirt would be fine because it's loose. Um, but how many sleeves? Right. Well, I mean, you can't show shoulder. So technically, Technically, I'm fine. Technically, you're fine. We weren't allowed to wear cap sleeves. Oh, yeah. What's that? There, it, it's this. It's, it's like, it like cuts it, off like right here. Yeah. It's short sleeves that are essentially this length. Mm-hmm. It had to be a proper short sleeve like, like the other guys. Mm-hmm. But just not as low cut. Yeah. Just close it up. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I like my tits and I like to show them off. Yay. And anyone who has a problem with that probably shouldn't watch our podcast. Just listen to it. Great. We love your tits. I Yay. like my tits too. Um, so yeah, <laughs> where were we? I know what's on the on the board. So can I do the segue? If you want to, yeah, I'm not gonna take it away. No, okay, okay. I have two segues. Just a friendly reminder: Joe Rogan is an asshole until he does the work to not be an asshole. Yep, he's okay. transphobic. Very much so. Um, so I wanted to ask you because you mentioned self harm. Yeah. Um, what is the difference between self-harm and BDSM? Ooh. All right. So I am going to take your question and I'm going to modify it just a little bit. I was going to say, I feel like we're like, we just jumped from like the beginning to way up the totem pole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I No, I was actually really interested in hearing more about, you know, like your transition out of religion. Okay, and fine. Like, we can do that too. Oh, we do that. And then we're going to circle back because that was going to be my transition. <laughs> I mean, if we want to just like jump to it, let's jump to it. I, I thought we were like building the story or something, but cool. I mean, we, you guys I, take we, it away. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, we can. We can indeed. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, it took many years to 
expunge myself of religion. Yeah. Um, is the short of it. Yeah. It, it, it took a lot of iterations of it, too. There was the like I left as a teen and then there was being drawn back in because I was dating this good Jewish boy mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then left again. And then there was that transition period where I was like still working for a Jewish company. And so half of my life was still very religion oriented Mm -hmm. because it was it was a religious uh, company as well. So it took a little while to kind of get completely out of it. But um, how has it affected your relationship with your family? Um, so I am incredibly lucky that I have a family. Well, first of all, my family comes from a non-Orthodox background. Okay. So both of my parents discovered religion in their, or were drawn to religion in their early twenties. So we have a mirrored story. So my parents can intellectually understand it as, you know, I didn't fit here. I needed to find a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also like I come from a family who loves me regardless. They may not agree with, understand and support everything that I do in my life, but they still love me, um, which That's I'm, wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm really lucky to have this kind of a family. Are they still in Israel? Yes. Uh, my immediate family are all there. My mm. extended family are here. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, there's the the back and forth traveling, which is impossible now. Mm, Right. Once upon a time when travel was a thing. Oh, my God. Remember those days? Remember parties? Remember sex parties? (laughs) (laughs) When did you discover the kink scene? I love kink parties. When I was 21. In New York? Here in Brooklyn? (laughs) I was 21 in New York. Yes. Is that a story worth telling? Oh, yeah. Are we ready? So when I was 21 and had, it was like a year out of my four year relationship. Um, and I was rediscovering and re-embracing my queerness. Um, you say rediscovering. So you had already been discovering. Yes. So my, my like sex journey started with girls Um, and I was having sex with girls throughout my teen years, but because of compulsive heterosexuality, I didn't recognize that as, oh, this is something I actually want to do. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I'm just doing this to fill the time. This girl just also happens to be real hot. Yeah. And there, and on some occasions there are people watching and as an exhibitionist, that's really enticing. And as A teenage girl that was also really enticing because you get free shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there there are few but valid upsides to the male gaze. Um, Yeah, so I I had like I have always been engaging in queer sex, but do like when I was fourteen. It was the first time I, and this is in the biggest quotation marks you can possibly put them in, um, 14, it was the first time I had intercourse with a boy, but it wasn't intercourse, it was rape. Oh, good. Yeah, delightful. Um, the thing is that when I was 14 and this happened, the first response to that was, you can't be acting promiscuous like that. So I registered that as... Meaning, meaning you told people about this experience and they told you that or... Meaning my parents 
discovered me the following day and thought that I consensually engaged in this. Did you at the time think that you had consensually engaged or yes. was it obvious to you that it, it was, was rape? It was not obvious to me at all. Okay. Um, it took me a decade to really wrap my head around the fact that that instance was not consensual. Wow. The reason I couldn't parse it apart was because I consented to making out with this person. And then I found myself, by found myself, I mean, we were cuddling. And the next thing I know, his penis is inside of me. And he's just stroking my head and going, Shh, it's okay, it's okay, it's just my dick. Um, and it took me a decade to be like, oh, wait, I never said that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then talking to my best friend at the time, 10 years later, about this instance, she said to me, you know, you ha we had this conversation two weeks before all this went down and we were talking about how both of us wanted to save sex for marriage. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later, you called me up and you were like, I lost my virginity. And she said, I asked you what was up with that. And you were like, well, I guess it's happened. So there we go. Mm. So you um, kind of owned it, even though rather than feeling like a victim, you kind of. Yeah, there was because. When all you know to be rape is yelling, screaming, right. being held down. Right. Of course. And then what happens to you is not exactly that. And also you consented to part of the things. Right. Mm -hmm. You will do all the mental gymnastics possible to figure out what happened there. And, and because we live in a world that blames the victim, that's yep. usually the conclusion you're going to come to. That yep. I must have consented to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that time on, I continued to reenact that experience with other boys. And I... I I'm pansexual. I'm attracted to people of all genders. So it's not fair to say that all of the sex I was having with boys slash men was a reenactment of the rape. Many, like much of that sex was sex that I wanted to engage in. Um, but there's, you know, there, there are so many different dynamics at play. Yep. Um, and then when I hit 21 and I found myself again in a relationship with a guy and I was like, okay, this is fine, but I, this isn't enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe I had a conversation with him that was like, all right, I don't, I don't think it was a conversation around opening the relationship because I didn't know what ethical non-monogamy was at the time. Oh, ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love it so much. Yeah. So it was non-monogamy, not so ethically. Oh, yeah. and I, yeah went to Israel, Palestine to visit my family. And I want to say I ended up having sex with someone in the car while I was there. Oops. Oops. And then my then partner found out and was like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you broke up with me. Just have sex with someone else. And I was like, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I needed more than just you. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Um, and I started exploring and was still petrified of like, oh, my God, I want to have sex with people who are the same gender as me, but I don't, but I don't know how to do that. Um, yep. <laughs> the life of a bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> how do I flirt with people? You when, know what? Honestly, I'm still trying to figure that out. You sit I can, like this and then you. Yo, I have just started just being like very right. like queer presenting and like letting people like 
gravitate towards yeah. me like a moth to the fucking yeah. light. Like I'll just like have my rainbows on and be like, hey, what's up? You know, you look really cute in that dress. Strategically <laughs> just wipe your brow. Do a little like hair flip when my yeah. hair is like up and enough to you and there's nothing to flip like, hey, what's up? Um, just need a fan of this space around it's me. weird uh it's it's so it's so gay in here <laughs> okay. yeah i i love pinpointing the the ways in which us queers like flag without bandana like hanky flagging yeah right because every once in a while i have a conversation with with queers and i'm like so do you do the hanky code thing and they're like nah that was out of fashion in the 70s and i'm like i don't even know what people are into then how wait, i wasn't updated i didn't get the memo shit when did you first start identifying as queer um around 21 also yeah I, we're we're running in circles and i love it um <laughs> yeah so, so when i was 21 i got on tinder and met this guy who i want to say lives in california now and i honestly don't give a shit but I met him and he was like, I'll make sure to tag him later. Um, and he and I started chatting um, and he also comes from an Orthodox background. So we had that in common. He was like, so how do you orient around your sexuality um, and your relationships? Meaning you, you had your sexuality on Tinder in your profile? No, I, I don't think so. I don't remember. It just came up in conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Our, our conversation, he asked me, he was like, how do you, like, what's your sexuality? How do you identify? Got you. Um, and he also asked me if I was monogamous or something that encapsulated that question. Okay. So and I- And you hadn't had these kind of conversations before? No. So it was because of him that, that you had started to think about this? Yes. Okay. He was the first person who was like- These things exist. Yeah. So <laughs> I was, and I was fascinated. I was 21 and I was like, oh my God, there's more. Um, mm -hmm. holy shit. Um, so we went out on a few <laughs> dates. Um, I, I, at that point was already identifying as either bisexual or queer. I don't remember exactly, probably bisexual because I don't think I knew what queer was at the time. Right. right. Um, and so we went on a couple dates. He introduced me to the concept of like sex work, sex parties. Uh, obviously those kind of existed in my mind in some way. Um, but I like it was it was getting a step closer to actually being able right. to touch it. Yeah. You know, it's not just like this theoretical thing that like you've seen in the movies. It's yeah. like something like, oh, I can actually participate yes. in this. I can I can go to a sex party like me. Do I have to wear a mask? Like, is it do, what do we? Oh, yeah. And he was and he was, you know, throwing out all these promises of like, well, I can Bring you to sex parties You're like, and yeah. I and and he at the time was trying to build some kind of like concierge luxury essentially sex work service um that also included different excursions i know i know um and he was like i'm gonna rope you in you're gonna be part of this and i was like all right well i don't necessarily want to be providing services but I like I'm happy to be part of the back end and hiring. Right. So he also then started bringing. So we like started dating, I guess. He's a 34 year old man who met this 21 year old bombshell girl who also was at like the height of her eating disorders and was like, well, you're going to be my arm candy now. So he brought me to a lot of sex parties slash not I got him all. into a lot of sex yep. parties 
but you mm-hmm. didn't know that at the time. No. Yeah. Because um, he didn't know, you didn't know that he needed a date to come. Yeah. And now that you do, you're like, this yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. Um, and there, were, there was a lot of like going to sex parties. So that person, blah, 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 blah. We need to get in with that person. And he would basically send me off to fuck these people. Oh. Yeah. It was a sticky situation. Oh. He also stole quite a few thousand dollars from me by way of renting cars and not paying me back and by way of renting hotel rooms and not paying me back. Oh, cool. So he was just the worst kind of asshole. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Perfect. But yeah, he introduced you to a whole new world. Yeah. So it's really fun to kind of do these thought experiments where it's like there are people in your life who open doors, but that doesn't mean you need to keep them there because they opened a door. Yeah. Um, so I, I learned a lot by way of meeting this person and being introduced to other things. Um, but I also learned a lot of things the wrong way. Mm. Um, we had a really interesting conversation on our most recent podcast with Nick about, mm-hmm. um, how people are often introduced to kink and to other sides of, of this, the sex positive community, yeah. um, often in ways that aren't necessarily healthy. And, and when you're new to it, you don't have the the frame of reference to understand or to be able to recognize those things. And so it's, it's always an interesting conversation to try to figure out, you know, how do we educate people on that and help people navigate that in a way that they don't have to necessarily walk down some of the same paths that yeah. people we know have. hundred percent. And I, and like, I'm, I still make mistakes. We I still make do. so many mistakes. I know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Um, but it's, it's really interesting at this point in the game. I'm like, I was introduced to all of this five or six years ago, going mm-hmm. on seven, going on seven years. I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while. And I still, there are still many things that I do that I recognize as like, oh, that's, that's not good. I don't want to be doing that or I want to be doing more of this. Um, and I still like struggle with imposter syndrome all the time, mm-hmm. specifically because of that. I'm like, I don't do enough reading. I didn't have the right models, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Recognizing that, you know, we, it, I, I can keep learning and revamping and taking apart the things that don't work and putting them away and assembling new strategies. And who is your audience that you feel might be seeing you as an imposter? Myself. Interesting. Yeah. Myself. And so I'm thinking of right now, I'm thinking of specifically like people who enter into DS dynamics with me, um, Mm -hmm. DS stands for dominant submissive and feeling like when I am taking on the role of a top or a dominant in a dynamic and someone is trusting me with their safety, with their mental health, with their physical well-being, and I am now responsible for this person for the period of time that we're going to be having a scene. If I am not providing the proper aftercare for this person, if I am not holding the space for this person in a healthy and safe manner, if I am not adhering to the pre-agreed upon boundaries, then I am subjecting this person to potential trauma and I am subjecting this person to potential harm. So I am concerned with that and I am concerned with not doing that. And I'm the fear is more within myself than it is externally. Right. Like I'm concerned about inflicting harm unintentionally. I think that comes back to something that we had said in a previous episode uh, with Nick about 
trauma informed doms. Um, because like when you're just starting the scene, especially like when you have so many people who are introduced to BDSM via like, um, 50 shades of gray. Yeah. We, we went on a little rant about that with Nick about how much we hate that fucking book. Um, but like when you have no other, uh, no other information about like what is and isn't healthy and you see something like 50 shades of gray and you're like, Oh, well that's hot. Let me Mm -hmm. get into that. Um, you actually need to look into finding someone who's actually trauma informed and any Dom who is in the scene, who understands their own traumas and has processed their own traumas will recognize this is not something I want to inflict or desire to inflict on someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is like the bare minimum of being trauma informed, Mm -hmm. but also recognizing how not to inflict further harm on someone and how to respect someone's boundaries in a way that like allows them to flourish um, and have a great time while you also have a great time without reinforcing those trauma patterns. Mm -hmm. Is that a term that's well known and well defined in the community? Trauma-informed. A trauma-informed dom specifically? I don't think so. Probably not. It should be more fucking prevalent because that would kick out a whole bunch of people in the fucking community. But you know, I'm not gonna sit here and preach on my little soapbox. I I feel like I've ventured so far away from the like mainstream community community at this point (laughs) that I feel like I don't get to speak to it and I'm very okay with that yep it's Mm. totally fine yeah there was um I I transitioned uh gender wise um in 2016 or 2017 and at that time also quit drinking alcohol um because there was a heavy correlation between going to play parties and getting blackout drunk or browned out drunk um, and having sex with many men who I didn't want to, but that's what you do at a sex party. Um, only if that's actually what you want to do. Yeah. 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 Um, but I didn't realize that mm-hmm. and was also heavily in my drug use and alcohol abuse. Um, and once I quit drinking alcohol, it became way more apparent to me that these are just situations I don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I just shouldn't put myself in these situations. Isn't it really strange how like the moment you remove alcohol from the situation, the clarity that comes when you're in the same situation without alcohol? Because like when you're drunk, all the drunk people around you are like really pleasant. You're like, oh, my God, you're super fun. You're super great. Oh, my God, I love you. And then as soon as you're the sober person about around a bunch of drunk people, oh you're like, this God. is awful. I never want to do this. Yeah. And like it's why the difference between a sober bartender and a drunk bartender is always very distinct Mm -hmm. because a sober bartender is like i am babysitting yeah a drunk bartender is like it's a party join it (laughs) so yeah removing alcohol from the situation especially when sex is involved especially when alcohol removes your ability to give informed and enthusiastic consent is probably really fucking smart yeah, um, I am uh, trying to do my best now to just not engage in sex while inebriated mm. or like under the influence. I also won't engage with people who are clearly intoxicated yep. um, off of anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I as a, a as a top, as a bottom, whatever, um, whatever it is, I will not I don't feel comfortable engaging with that. Yep. Um, 
which makes perfect sense because like especially if you're engaging as a top and your mm -hmm. submissive is inebriated mm -mm. like you cannot give me proper consent mm -hmm. to do any of the things that we would want to do right. and if i don't have your consent anything i do past this point is not what i want to do and that can again be further trauma down the line right. um especially because like in the moment you don't feel like a victim but like you realize later oh shit i was mm -hmm. absolutely the victim yeah there's also there keeping in mind that when so i'm going to speak to this as a bottom um if i am bottoming for impact play and i am shit drunk i can't feel what's happening right i right. physically cannot feel what's happening in the same way that I would if I were sober, which means that I can't call red or yellow yep. when I need to call red or yellow. And I mean, this happens when you get into like, in, into the flow state, right? Mm -hmm. So, and we were just talking about this before we started recording, where the last play party that I went to before um, quarantine started, I spent quite a few hours beating people up. Mm -hmm. um, and it got to, I, I was so in flow state that I, and I was 100% sober, but I was so deep in flow state that I tore a huge chunk of skin off of my hand and didn't realize until I took a break between impact bottoms. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I need to take a breather. And I took a breath and felt the shooting pain in my hand. And I looked and I just had skin torn off of my hand. And I was like, all right, I guess it's time to stop now. Yep. And <laughs> yeah, and like there have been thankfully I have never been injured or harmed while inebriated and bottoming for impact. Um, but I can only imagine if I had been in a situation where I was like shit drunk and less getting, trustworthy people. Yeah. yeah. I, and uh, there were situations where like, Oh my God, there's this one specific instance that I remember um, where someone came up to me with a flogger and he was like, Oh, you I'm a dumb. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, let's see what you got. And he hit me once. And you're like, wrap it with up. The flogger. Yep. He hit me once with a flogger and he hit me in the kidney. And I was like, get the fuck off of me and out of this room. And never call yourself a dom again. You Ever. fucking stupid asshole. Yo, I love watching people like, okay. So like my, one of my favorite things is watching, especially like cis, like straight men, especially white dudes who are like, oh yeah, I'm a top, I'm like a dom. And then they don't actually know how to do figure eights with their fucking floggers. And I'm like, oh, you're so cute, baby. I can swing a flogger harder and better with more accuracy than you could ever possibly imagine. And that's with my left fucking hand. Yep. So if I'm doing it better than you, please don't come to me. Cause I literally had one dude, like I watched him flogging his uh, partner and I was just like, wow the look on his face said, I am trying to harm this person. And like, like just mm -hmm. the aggression mm -hmm. in his body language and on his face, I was like, oh, this is so disgusting. This is such a turnoff. And I was, and I love watching people get flogged. And I was just like, I'm just going to go check Facebook, Instagram, any social media. I'm gonna look at some memes. I'm gonna create some memes. Anything. And yes. he came over to the table where I was sitting. Cause I was like the, um, dungeon master at the time, not in a D and D kind of way, but like, <laughs> you know, um, and I had like a whole table of impact toys in front of me. And like, he had borrowed one of my floggers, 
um, Thor, not Zeus. No okay. one, bo- okay. no one borrows uh-uh. Zeus. Zeus is me only. Yes. Um, and so he. Do you name your toys? I name my floggers because they're twins, but they're different. Because yes. one brings the thunder and the other brings the lightning. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah. So he borrowed Thor. And he brings it back and he was like, so Vivica, when are you going to let me flog you? And I like, <laughs> like instinctually as like the fucking reaction before I even had time to process what had just been said to me, my brain already spit out never. Like it already came out of my mouth before I even had the opportunity to think about it. And I was just like, never. And he was like, well, I don't know if you saw, but like, I'm pretty good with a flogger. And I was like, oh, no, I saw you. And he was just like, oh. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's never going to happen. But also, like, just to be extra clear, I am not going to let a cis straight white guy flog me, a black woman in public Ever. There is never a situation where I am going to let that image be out in the world. Like other people can do that and that's fine for them. Like if that's what you're comfortable with, if that's who you're comfortable with, go for it. That is not an image that I am going to put out into the world, especially when I'm watching you with your own partner looking like you're trying to harm that partner and you're going to let come up to me and be like, oh, so when are you going to let me harm you? Sir, please keep walking. I don't have time for this belly laugh right now. No, no. Like, you're a dom. Oh, okay. Sure, buddy. Sure. You don't know the proper way to swing a flogger and you're swinging it overhead thinking that's how you're going to get the most power. Bitch, get the fuck out of my goddamn range of sight. I would rather watch a fucking mouse walk by. Like, no fucking thank you. Get Pizza Rat in here. That's more fucking entertaining to me. No. Are you? Is the community always this rude to people who don't know what they're doing oh i didn't say all of that to him out loud it was just, oh. me. It was just me in my head got like, it all i said to got him, it all i said to him was no never and then he was like oh well i don't know if you saw me and i was so like so how do no, people learn you. uh i mean there are plenty of fucking classes and there's also yeah. plenty of demonstrations of the right way to do it like but, but i mean that assumes that somebody has the initiative and somebody has the awareness that they're not good flogging his partner before so he you had know, seen, i get that but sometimes like what you're describing is you clearly have this perspective that he's unaware of. But he also and that doesn't want to learn. He's, forget that situation, just okay. in general. You know, if somebody has a, a perspective and they may be doing something that's not doing it in the right way and you have knowledge about how they could be doing it better, don't you think that, wouldn't it make the, speaking as a complete outsider, not knowing the community whatsoever, wouldn't it help the community to be able to give people that feedback? So it depends on like the person. So the thing is like, I'm not going to step into someone else's relationship, especially mm-hmm. someone else's DS relationship and tell you you're doing it wrong because everyone has their own. Even when you feel this strongly about it and the way that you're describing it right now. Well, so the way that I like, I know for me, that is not how I want my relationship to go. But like his partners seemed perfectly happy with the way that they were engaging. So it wasn't it. something that's fundamentally wrong. It's just something that wasn't right for you. I mean, looking back at this relationship, like it's, definitely very fucking unhealthy um i can't wait to hear the names later oh yeah and they run a play party um but i mean this is this is one of the things is as an outsider the the king community is a little intimidating because we hear all these stories of all these people acting in such terrible ways that is so obvious to you guys as experienced 
members of the community, but like as an outsider, you would have no fucking idea. So it's like, how do you, how do you engage in a community like this where you're being surrounded by potential predators or people who are just idiots and they're not being corrected by the people who actually know how it should be done. So I think we also have to take into account the different privileges that go into this. Right. Cause like, there have been instances, and I'm not talking about this specifically. Right. I'm going to bring a different instance in um, where people have come forward to specific party organizers and been like, hey, so-and-so who I know is going is attempting to attend your party, either assaulted me or um, cross boundaries, blah, blah. Here, here's a list of reasons why this person shouldn't be at the party. Mm-hmm. And then uh, said person is allowed into the party and the person who reported them is not allowed into the party. And these are things that like this happens and it has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it happen. Yeah. So how do you, as a, as a new, as a noob to the community, find the right communities, find the right parties, find the right people to engage with and, and avoid the assholes trial and error. Really? It's a little bit of trial and error. It's and also, also about like asking around. Yeah. Asking around and recommendations, because like mm. if you were to ask, um, either of us like, Hey, so which parties should I avoid? We can give you a list of parties like, okay, so you might look online and their consent policies might sound really good on paper, but the mm-hmm. way that they actually enact their consent policies in, right. uh, functioning is completely different than how it is on paper. And they are actually one of the most unsafe parties, mm-hmm. um, in can the you, city. Can you check their Yelp reviews or something like that? Or like, you just, you have to ask, or you have to know people. In you kind of have to ask around, but also at the same time, like you can kind of get the vibe from it, just going to an event. Um, hmm. because like there are certain events that I've been to where like, at one of the most unsafe parties, even when I was going there regularly, there was always this weird undertone of like, you're almost in like a heightened state where it almost feels like you're a little bit of a deer in the headlights where you're always feeling like something not quite right could be lurking around the corner at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And that's just a feeling you get from being there. You can't really. There's, it's absolutely a vibe that I got every single time I went there and I was going there for a couple of years before I was like, Oh, there are other fucking options. And these other options do not make me feel this unsafe. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not that parties in general feel this unsafe. It's this party in general feels mm-hmm. unsafe. And then I realized afterwards that this is one of the parties where their consent policy on paper does not line up with how they put it in practice and realize that, oh, they are just unsafe as a part of the community. Mm-hmm. And they brand themselves very much as like the biggest part of the community. I think that trusting your gut is incredibly important here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I get that. And in general, that's important, especially like dating, anything like that. You're entering into new territory. You have to feel it out. It's part of the human experience. The reason I ask, though, is I keep getting this impression that situations are being described as I know that this is abusive, but the people around me and the people engaging in it don't recognize it. And that concerns me. So not always. So a lot of times the problem is um, when you. okay. so especially like there's different dynamics. So like you like the way that you present, you could probably walk up to the guy that I was describing earlier and be like, Hey buddy, um, the way that you were hitting your partner seemed a little, uh, seemed a little off. Are you, does like, that happen? I mean, it can happen mm-hmm. in like, but does it sometimes it does. Like sometimes people do get called in by their friends or called in by like other people who are like observing. Um, but the right people have to do it. So I, as a woman and as a black woman cannot walk up to 
a white guy who has quote unquote influence in the scene and be like, Hey, bruh. So it's politics. There's a lot of politics involved where I am not going to be taken as seriously. I'm not going to be listened to the same way. And I'm also like, my opinion is going to be taken, um, very lightly so i can say hey watching you made me incredibly fucking uncomfortable and i would actually prefer you not do that around me and i will be laughed at Mm -hmm. and instead of putting myself in a situation where i'm going to get laughed at and then have to start defending myself i would rather just say nah never and just keep it fucking moving so are there sort of self-cleaning mechanisms in the community or do do you just kind of have to navigate around it all um i will say uh one of the fastest and easiest ways to recognize a healthy party is are there any marginalized people involved in running the party in some capacity? Because if it's just a bunch of straight white dudes that are running the party, they're not going to take things anywhere near as seriously as people who are actually marginalized, who have been victimized and who recognize, Hey, we want to create a space that is safe for other marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And that means taking complaints seriously, taking things seriously, looking into things, making sure that everything is consensual and above board. Interesting. Um, I had a thought and now I don't have a thought anymore. Oh, I, I was just curious of like, how, how might you imagine that same situation going if this person had come over to you and been like, hey, so when are you going to let me flog you? And your response instead of, saying never was actually I saw the way that you were flogging your partner and that made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. Or something along the lines of technique at all. So never. Right. Or maybe even not as, as, as negatively or just so like, you know, right. Well, I'm just, I'm always trying to find ways to be diplomatic. And Mm -hmm. and I know that that's not always everybody's prerogative. It's not always necessary for a situation. You know, sometimes you feel like you're in a space where you should be able to tell people you're, you're being a fucking idiot. And I don't feel like I need to be diplomatic about it. Mm -hmm. That being said, if it's a community like this, where, you know, it's not being called out, I feel like I I would want to find ways to like, the thing is it does get called out in the community. The problem is how the community actually responds and addresses addresses it tells you whether that outlet of the community is actually safe or not. So you're not just navigating individuals, you're navigating entire communities of people. You're navigating parties like uh, party like hosts, you're navigating individuals, you're navigating um, like there's different facets of the scene. So if you are going to a party and you bring up to the party, Hey, by the way, this guy acted in a non-consensual way and now he's following me around the party and he's stalking me and he's stalking my friend and he's making us incredibly unsafe to the part to the point where I have three male partners and friends following me around the party to make sure I am safe because he's following me. Right. And their response to me is, well, maybe you shouldn't come back to our parties anymore. Mm, Has this happened? Yeah. Yeah. Same place that gave me the bad vibes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So it ends up being about navigating you know entire. One? Oh, I know which one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Getting a lot of subtext going on over here. <laughs> it's called Hacienda. Yep. Uh, and okay. they're publicly, uh, their name is very public. You can find them yeah. on their website and avoid them and tell them that they're trash. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So if people, if people are trying to get into the kink scene here in New York, they Don't can go just, to Hacienda. They, can just Hacienda. they can just write Vivica at fun time program for yeah. recommendations. Yeah. Well, absolutely help them out but like awesome. avoid hacienda yeah. awesome that's good like, to know hacienda promotes themselves as like the sex party of new york and so they like host classes but they host classes by people who are 
occasionally very unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, they rent their space out to other people to host uh, sex parties at their space, mm-hmm. which again allows people who are unsafe and unvetted to host parties. Mm-hmm. Then they themselves host parties where they don't take consent seriously. And when consent was like when four or five different um, consent issues were brought up to them, their response was to stop throwing parties yep. for a year, to rebrand, to switch their entire party Mm, uh, list out classic corporate america nonsense just stopped inviting all of their veterans because their veterans had who had been going to their party for some of them up to eight years just stopped inviting them entirely and started inviting all new people who had never heard their name before who had never heard anything about them before so that instead of having to be held accountable which is all that anyone was ever asking of them they just decided to rebrand and say fuck you well, which is why Hacienda is trash. So, they so can suck my dick. So what was your experience then entering into this this new world of kink? Um, there was there was a lot of trial and error. Yeah, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol. Mm. There was. A but what, what were your first experiences like? So oh what, did these all happen at, at play parties? First, was it with partners like? No. So they mostly happen at play parties. OK. Um. So it was within that setting that you first got this taste of sort of non-standard sexual engagements. Well, okay, that's that's not completely true because I in in the year before I met um the partner who I was seeing and eventually lived with for a little bit was very interested in DS. Um I was 20 going on 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um And because I had a partner who was like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to do that so bad. So I went online and did research um, and Reddit was the first place. And I like subbed to all of the the BDSM subreddits that I could find and asked as many questions and read as many things as I could. And him and I would explore different things. Um, And then when I eventually met someone who was like, oh, there's more. So then I started exploring more and it was the first time that I started exploring um, being submissive and bottoming. Um, And it was the first time that I was able to start exploring masochism, which was a big part of me. And I didn't realize what it was. Masochism, meaning that you enjoy pain. I enjoy pain. Um, I'm a sadomasochist. I enjoy pain and I enjoy I enjoy experiencing pain in specific settings and consensually. And I also enjoy inflicting pain mm-hmm. in specific settings and consensually. I don't like harming people. Right. That is never my goal. Right. I like hurting people, though. Yeah, that's Very real fun. much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's real fun. Um, yeah. So I... Is that a common use of the two words? Um, that harming is bad and hurting is connoted as good? I Or is that know. just the way you, you, you use it? That's the way I use it. Okay. I have heard this used in other contexts in this way okay. is how I differentiate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do the same thing too, where like I very much enjoy hurting people, but I do not want to harm you. I don't mm-hmm. want to cause long-term damage outside of maybe a couple consensual bruises here yeah. and there. But right. like, I'm not going to leave lasting damage. I'm not going to cause nerve damage. I want to make sure that... Um, I'm staying within your limits, within my limits and what have you. I would love to inflict lasting, um, like marks on people. Like scarification. Yeah. Yeah. Scarification, um, whipping people until they're bloody, branding, cutting, 
all of these things that can potentially be harmful if they're done in the wrong ways. I mean, anything within BDSM can, can be, be harmful if it's done in the wrong yeah. way, right? Um, I I would love to inflict lasting marks on people, but most of the people I encounter are like, my boundaries are no marks and no pain, and I'm like, oh. Talk, talk to me about how you how you identify that. How do you know? How do I identify that that's somebody's boundary? Oh, I asked them. Okay, I said, so what are your hard boundaries? Got and you. They tell me. Got yeah. you. It's shocking what happens when you ask you people have, for information. You, right, 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 right. I'm like, so what are you interested in? Well, They're well, like, no, no, no. Well, you know, for people who are maybe new to this, it's, yeah. it's. I think that's an important part yeah. of you know, kind of explaining to people that that's how this works. It's yeah. not just like you just you know start hitting somebody with a Absolutely. flogger and, and just oh, feeling no. out where their boundaries are oh, that you no. actually have these conversations right. ahead of time. Okay. So when it, when it comes to, like if I am entering, hypothetically, if Vivica and I have met at a play party, mm -hmm. which we did. We did. Um, and, right. I, and, and Vivica was in, I want to say a fur coat. That sounds accurate. Yeah. And a flogger. Uh -huh. And I went over and was like, hey, do you want to hit me? And she was like, yeah. Oh, no. You know what it was? Right. I didn't have my flogger at the time because I hadn't had my floggers yet. It was... Um, a couple of people had like hit you with your with their hand right. and you were just like, oh, I really want to get hit. But like no one's hit me hard enough. And I was like, I can hit you. And you were like, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty heavy handed. And you're like, prove it. And I was like, all right. And then I hit you harder than anyone had at the party. And you were just like, yeah, that was exactly what I was looking for. And Thank like, you. And we have a fancy <laughs> Friends really who hit together stay together. <laughs> yes. Friends who beat each other stay together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if, if Vivica and I met at a party and we like locked eyes and we're clearly interested in engaging in some way, the way that I would navigate this would be, Hey, what are you looking for tonight? Mm -hmm. What are you? Yeah. Depending on the context, I might ask, what are you cruising for? Um, <laughs> and because I'm a switch, it opens up a lot more opportunities for me. Do yeah. you always wear a, search, a shirt that says switch when no, you're at a play party? I today. <laughs> no. When I go to play parties, I more often than not, as of late, will go in with the primary objective to either beat someone or stab someone with needles. Speaking of needles. Speaking of needles. Tell me fucking more. Because in our kink episode, we definitely mentioned needle play. And I do recall John talking about a conversation he had with you at my birthday party. So, I mean, if you want to if you want to talk to us a little yeah. bit more about some needles. I do. I want to <laughs> finish navigating Thank you. the beginning of the scene. And then <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. My ADHD got the better yeah. of me. I'm glad we, that we you're gotta, taking a few steps ahead. We got to rope her in sometimes. Uh -huh. Ropes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, like, what are you cruising for? What are you looking for? Right. I like going to parties within a specific um, activity or activities in mind, because then I don't encounter these situations where it's like, what are you cruising for? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so I will go to a party with intentions and I'm they're not expectations their intentions mm -hmm. because if you have expectations you're probably going to be let down yep in some way mm -hmm. don't go in with expectations um so if the person i am interacting with is interested in needles or impact if those are the things that i'm currently interested in doing then cool we can move on from there and if not it's like all right cool good luck on your search right um and this happens mm -hmm. all the time 
So in an instance where I went up to Vivica and was like, hey, what are you into? And Vivica was like, well, I really want to impact top today. And I and I originally had come to the party thinking I want or like with the objective of impact topping, which I, that is usually my objective because it feels safer for me at this time to step into in a top role than it does to step into a bottom role. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vivica knows what she's doing. And how do you know? I, I don't know. Right. I don't know. And that's a really good question, right? Because this has happened before where I'm like, oh, so what are you into? And the person's like, well, I want to impact up. And I'm like, cool, well, I can bottom. And they'll start hitting me. And then I'm like, actually, you know what? I'm going to call it because I don't feel safe right now. Wow. Okay. Um, and it has happened before where I'm like, oh, you hit me a couple of times. And I could tell you're drunk or uh, you're not hitting me in the right spots or you're amping up way too fast mm, or something. So it's right? not just about hitting people. There's, there's an actual art form to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's safety, there's, there's rhythm, there's warming up, there's getting there, right? You can't just go from zero to 60. You know, if you throw, I'm a vegan, but I'm going to use this example. Anyway, you're not going to throw a steak on a barbecue. That's (laughs) just like, (laughs) right. Because you're going to char the outside and the inside's still going to be bloody. Yep. And that's, that's how we like our steak though. I mean, if you like your steak that way, fantastic. That's how you should be eating your steak. But that's not how you I just I just love that you're, you're using salmonella. a steak. And, no, no, no. You only have to cook the outside, not the inside of a steak burger. A you got to cook the whole thing. It's Technically, a, it's, it's, you okay, don't fine, always I'm have using to. the burger as the analogy that like, it's still the burger and the inside still going to give you people salmonella. love people yeah, love exactly. medium rare burgers, though. I mean, it's like. Yeah, no, I, so I get what you're saying. So so you're, you're building up an exper- yeah. experience. It's not just about the abuse. It's about experience yeah. experiential and it's not abuse no i know right. but I, I, i'm trying to figure out how to word that in a different way it's not just about hitting somebody it's about creating an experience yes. through impact yes yes, yes. it's about okay. the hedonism of it so like yeah. when i'm topping um and i've like done plenty of demos for people who have never experienced impact whatsoever who've never experienced electricity whatsoever and their first experience with either of those two things was with me specifically Mm -hmm. and one of the first things that I always do is I ask them have you ever done impact play before have you ever been hit with a flogger before okay so I already know where to start from there like if you've Mm -hmm. never been hit with a flogger before I know I am going to start much lower than someone who has started and knows their tolerances a little bit Um, if you've never played with electricity before it informs me okay cool well I'm going to show you what electricity is and I want you to tell me like where your threshold is does this feel okay does this feel too much do you want me to turn it down and then the next thing that I say is as we start I'm going to start off low but I'm going to increase as we go if I ever get close to your pain threshold not when I hit it when I get close to it please put your hand in the air so that I know that I need to back down from that spot. And as soon as I see someone's hand, I know, okay, I need to hit them lighter, Mm -hmm. give them a little bit more of a cool down, warm them up a little bit more before I hit harder. And I find that warming them up more from that spot, they can go past that original threshold, but they are basically just telling me I'm not ready to move forward yet. And they can do that non-verbally, but like every time I'm engaging with someone, I'm making sure to negotiate this before we start impact Mm -hmm. so that there's never a question of them feeling unsafe 
before we start during the play or what have you. I feel like we should do like a 101 yeah. video. I, I would love to. I, would. I yeah. for instance, when I'm interacting with a new impact bottom, if I'm impact hopping, um, will also ask, well, have you done this before? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if yes, I'll ask them what sensations they prefer. Thuddy over stingy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, there's a whole vocabulary. Oh, there's I love a whole, it. Yep. There's so much. So conversation is really the key. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's there's no point of starting a scene if you don't have information to work with. Right. You're basically going in where it's like saying, I need you to cook a seven course meal without asking if you know how to cook. Yeah. Also, without knowing if anyone has food allergies or what supplies you have yep. to cook with. Right. Yeah. So I'll I'll go in and then, you know, it, once once I've assessed the, the bare minimum, um, we'll do like a quote unquote test run. Well, first of all, the safe words right? Mm-hmm. Like green is go. Yellow is slow down, check in and red is full stop, mm-hmm. right? That's always pre-established. And then I will do a test run where I will, depending on the implement that I'm using. And I, I will also ask, ask the, the bottom who I am working with if they're okay with like skin to skin touch, mm-hmm. because I, as a top really enjoy warming my bottoms up with like massage and punching and hitting so that I can also feel physically where their body is right because Mm. if your impact bottom is flaming hot you might be nearing the edge of breaking skin yep um so it's important to check in yeah Mm -hmm. to be checking in right so i will do um like a trial run where i'll hit them once and be like okay from a scale of zero to ten where would you rate that specific hit Mm -hmm. right and and then based off of that um And it also depends on the experience that this individual has. I can ask them, well, if that was a three, how high do you, how high is your cutoff mark, right? Like, is your objective to reach a six or is your objective to reach a nine or is your objective to reach a 10 and full stop, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone goes in differently. I want to be in the scene and get hit as hard as I can for as long as I can. You're also the most masochistic person I've ever fucking met. So, um, <laughs> but that requires warming up, yes. right? Cause I'm never going to start at a 10, even though I know you are literally the most masochistic person I know, there's never a moment where I'm starting at a 10 with yeah. you it's because not fun. it's not enjoyable for either of us. Is needle play a way to escalate beyond what impact play can, can give you? Well, needle play is a whole nother thing. So it's not necessarily an escalation of, of oh, experience. No. Okay. No, 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 it's no. just different. Needle play. So needle play and impact are different categories. They can absolutely be combined because I, almost anything can be combined. Um, but, you know, as you know, not everyone is into needle play, right? It's more niche um, as opposed to like rope and impact, with which are things that you would encounter in mainstream-ish over needle play which because i like your definition of mainstream yeah because it's literal (sighs) blood drawing is going to be much more taboo Mm -hmm. right um (laughs) i love needle play so much though i'm so excited to talk to you about it i have a box of over a thousand individually wrapped medical needles at home wow yeah, that's a pretty significant collection. So much. If you ever need any Vivica, please let me know. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I totally just I needle play all the time. I know. Never. I don't ever do it. I, I like will happily watch you and I will happily watch people put needles into you. But like 
I will pers- you really? Yeah. Well, so I don't because mind- from from the limited amount that I've been exposed to already, it's it's challenging for me to to even watch. It depends on the situation. Like I've been more normalized to a lot of things. So like I know, like especially with Dean specifically, I know that like. Dean has done this before and right. this is not something that is going to be harmful to Dean. So I don't have to like worry about like, oh, are like, are, are they okay? Should I be right. checking in? But I'm not fucking doing the needles. Yeah. I like, I don't have anywhere near the skill level or the education to be doing the needle. So if someone is doing the needles who is far more educated than myself, I'm fascinated by yeah. it. Um, and Especially when it's done in a really pretty like pattern, like geometrical or it's like really like intricate. Like, I mean, like I'm I'm into like the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I enjoy the art of it. It's like watching someone paint. I personally am not a good painter and I'm not going to step up to the canvas and try to paint. Mm -hmm. But I will enjoy watching someone else paint in front of me. What does needle play to you? Okay. Before I go into that, mm. I want to take a step back and talk about masochism versus self-harm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Why is that important to have that conversation? I'll tell you why. I, as a teenager, self-harmed. Um, and my and I, I was cutting. I was burning. Those were my primaries. Um, at the time, that kind of action was coming from a place of confusion It was coming from a place of upset with myself and with the world around me. It was coming from a place of powerlessness. And it was coming from a place of trying to regain some kind of control over myself, my body, and the way that I was inhabiting the body and like walking through the world, right? It was coming from a place of loss of control. It took me many years up until maybe three or four ago to differentiate between self-harm and masochism. And the differentiation came when I was able to recognize that it's not the act of hurting myself that I enjoy, but it is the pain that I experience that brings me joy. And I'm not doing this because I don't like myself. I'm not doing this because I'm confused. I'm not doing this because I'm upset with myself and the world and because I'm trying to regain control. I'm doing this because this pain is pleasurable for me. I'm doing this because this is enjoyable. Is there some connection to the history that you had with it as a teenager? Um, The connection is that if I am in a bad mood and if I am feeling in any way upset with myself, I'm not going to engage in that kind of behavior and I'm not going to poke myself that day because I don't want to be hurting myself from a place of upset in the same way that I would never hit someone who I'm upset at. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I am walking into an impact scene and I'm upset with my impact bottom because of reasons that are not related to the impact scene, if I'm upset with my impact bottom at all, We're not going to have that scene nope. because I don't want to be hitting you and I'm upset at you because then I'm going to try and harm you subconsciously. I'm hitting you out of anger. Yeah. Yep. And that's the exact same thing that happens with myself. I'm not going to I'm not going to hurt myself when I'm upset with myself. That's not productive. I'm doing I'm engaging in cutting or piercing or beating myself 
because I am seeking out this sensory input, not because I want to punish myself in any way. But usually it's actually a reward, right? Like there are times when I'm like, I really need to write this paper and I really don't want to write this paper. But if I write this paper by whatever hour, then go wild, Dean. Poke yourself full of holes or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, like there's, it's a mindset, right? Like it's walking into it from a healthier place. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm coming to this from a, a, a peaceful place as opposed to a tumultuous place. Is it a form of uh, sexual arousal like masturbation? Sometimes. Um, not always. Not always. No. I, for me, kink and sex don't necessarily overlap. Um, they can. They can. They don't have to. Yeah. Meaning right. that, that, as yeah. a Venn diagram, there's a section yes. of kink that is not overlapped with sex. Yeah. Okay. There, there is like at the moment since quarantine started, I've been able to engage in two kink dates. Um, a friend of mine suspended me from a tree in Prospect Park. That's amazing. That sounds um, so good. Yeah. And then another friend stuck a whole bunch of needles in my back. Um, yeah. But I haven't been able to top since quarantine started. I haven't been able to kink top specifically since quarantine started. So I've been craving beating someone up. And Why? like what, what, what's been stopping you? Logistics. Okay. Yeah. Like I have a couple people who are very keen on doing this, but we need to find a private outdoor space. Um, and we need to be COVID safe, right? Like there are all these restrictions that need to be built in. So there, the plans are in motion, but it's taken a while, mm -hmm. right? So like at the moment I am craving beating someone up and exerting that kind of energy, but that kind of energy does not necessarily wrap into, and then I want to have sex with this person. Right. I, I, I just want to beat someone up consensually mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it like I'm good on the sex part right now yeah fine it's interesting that you say that because like when I was doing um kink demos and like specifically I was flogging people mm -hmm. um I would flog like anywhere from 30 to 100 people in wow. a five hour period wow. and I would go home and not feel any sort of sexy like I was having so much fun and I would be so in the zone that like one of the times that I did this, I literally almost like threw out my rotator cuff mm -hmm. because I was I refused to stop throwing my floggers even after my shoulder just started screaming at me. I was like, I'm gonna keep going like nah, this this beautiful like bottom is sitting in front of me. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to provide this service. And my shoulder is like, bitch, if you don't stop we're going to have a problem. And I'm like, well, let's have a problem then. <laughs> but like I went home and I wasn't like particularly horny. I wasn't yeah. like particularly in the mood for having sex. And like there have been times where I've gone to my partner's place after topping for a very long time and did not feel in any way turned on or mm -hmm. horny. And it was just like, okay, cool. Like, let's just cuddle and like go to bed. Yeah. And, and that like, that brings me back to why do I go to play parties with these specific intentions? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not always going to a play party wanting to have sex. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling horny. I don't want to get my bits involved. Like I just 
want to have this kinky exchange with people. I just want to engage in activities with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like sharing your toys when you're yeah. a kid. Yeah. Like you have all these fun toys that you want to play with and like you want to share your toys and like, look how cool my little action figure is. Like, so don't you want to play with this action figure with me? Oh, you have a cool action figure too. Let's play with our action figures together. But like that doesn't mean that like we have to like be best friends or like hang out forever. It's just like us. action figures and packed bottoms? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so like you have like all these fun things where you're just like, okay, well I have all these fun toys and like maybe you want to play with my toys with me and oh, okay. You like my toys too. Yay. Let's play with toys together. And like whether or not that turns into a sexual situation is really dependent on the chemistry that I have with that person because there are times where like there's a like beautiful bottom in front of me and I'm just like, oh, oh, this, oh, this is real fucking hot. This is doing it uh-huh. for me and there are other times where like there is a beautiful bottom in front of me i'm like okay i am really having fun beating the shit out of this person but like i would never foresee myself having sex with this person 100 yes. percent. so interesting yeah mm-hmm. um yeah i mean like kink chemistry and sex chemistry are not always the same thing yeah just very different wow it's fascinating it's really weird it's really good though so i wanted to ask you about gender before we jump into gender stuff i think right let's finish that that up yeah tell us more about needles what do you want to know how did you get started in it what what was your introduction to needle play i don't know I have no idea. Wow. Um, Okay. It wasn't a memorable experience where it was like, it wasn't like a light bulb thing or like a. No, I, I think I've always been into poking myself and piercing myself. Um, I, but previously it had been in, in sort of not necessarily a healthy way. Well, it was, it wasn't in an unhealthy way. I pierced my own ears. Okay. Yeah. So you were always attracted to the idea of like taking control of your body and doing things to your body in a way that felt right. Okay. Um, I pierced my own ears when I was 13 or 14. Um, and I, I, like when I was even younger than that, I used to take a needle and thread and just kind of like literally sew my skin because I, it was fascinating and it didn't hurt. So So you could do your own stitches if you needed to. Yeah, I do. I do have a suture kit at home, but I think it's expired at this point. So I should probably throw it out and get a new one. Um, why would it expire? Medical supplies. Apparently have expiration dates on that. Why? I don't know. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. But. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just looking at my needles yesterday and I was like, oh, this expires in 2024. All right. Huh. <laughs> Will I use it in 2025? Probably. Because yeah. like how do needles expire? I don't know. It's, like, it's just metal, right? Like how it, does metal it, The expire? only thing I can think of is, is their promise that it's, um, uh, what's it called when it's like been cleaned? Still sterile. Sterile. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but still, if it's an individually packaged in its own sheath, right? My my, like, I'm curious if so. The needles that I use are medical needles, mm-hmm. so they have a little hub on the end which you can attach a syringe or an IV to, mm-hmm. right? So my thought is maybe that plastic piece won't be as connective yeah um over time like maybe it loses its shape or something like that yeah. i don't know i will look into this though yeah because like how the fuck does it expire night. yeah that's baffling um but my ex girlfriend did used to do needle stuff and i that 
that was the first partnership in which needles were the first and only partnership in which needles were like a prevalent part of the things, the activities that we did. Um, and I learned I, that that was the person who introduced me to needles and who I learned like the first basics from. What was your first reaction? Fascination and oh my God, I want to be part of this. So it wasn't a period of time where you needed to like w no. work up the no. courage or like observe first. It was like you jumped right in. Yeah. It, it just, you were like a fish to water, so to speak. It was like, it was something you identified with right away and you wanted to try. Yeah. Wow. I'm also a person who's just like, oh, this is too, I'm just going to whoop right into the deep end for everything. And I'm like, all right, well, if I find out I don't like it, I just won't do it again. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I liked it. I should do it again. <laughs> just in case, just to check to make sure. Yeah. Um, and so for the first little while being maybe a year and a half or so, I only needle bottomed. Um, and then. And your partner was only topping or was also doing needle play with her herself. So Z, um, would needle top me and I want to say maybe once or twice, like put a needle in herself as well, but it it was mostly like me bottoming for needle stuff. Okay. Um, and then I started. So your exposure to it wasn't that your partner was doing it. It was that your partner introduced to you to doing it to you. Yes. Okay. I, I want to say that the first time, and also it was a little while ago, so I don't remember exactly, but I want to say that like maybe the first time I actually got needles done was at a play party where Z had like set up shop and was needling people. And I was like, oh, I really want to try that. And then that kind of got incorporated into our repertoire of shit that we would do together. Um, and that went on for like a year, year and a half or so. And then I was like, I think I'm ready to start topping with this or okay. exploring it. So I like practiced on here and also on myself. Um, for those of y'all who are not catching on my ex's pronouns are Z and here, which are the same as mine. Um, here. Yes. H I R. So here self. Yes. Mm -hmm. cool. And also uses she and her. Okay. Yeah. So you haven't been getting it. Wrong. I just thought I thought I heard you use the word girlfriend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. We we are both genderqueer uh -huh. and we refer to each other as girlfriends. Cool. Um, which is an interesting thing that happens with gender that can happen with individuals who are genderqueer. Where it's like, I'm not comfortable with being a girlfriend unless X, Y, Z. Right. Whatever. Right. Um, we'll get to pronouns shortly. Yeah. Because I have so many questions. Yeah. So <laughs> I put a few needles in here and then put needles in myself and then just practice topping on myself for the most part for a long time. And, you know, if you're practicing on your own body, those trials and errors aren't going to traumatize your bottom. Right. Cause you can't traumatize yourself. I mean, <laughs> you can, you but can. like maybe not in the same way that you might traumatize someone else. Yes. Um, and then I started, uh, topping for other people. Um, it is, I only this past year did I take needles to a play party and it's still something that I feel very wary about because it's not something that I've done a lot. Um, taking needles to a play party needles. Yes, I've done a lot. Um, but it's only within the past year where I'm like, 
oh, this is something I feel comfortable offering to complete noobs. Wow. Yeah. And you've had people partake. Yeah. 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 What's the reaction been? It depends on the person. But in terms of like, you haven't had a ton of experiences with this, but in terms of the people you have interacted with where Mm -hmm. you have dealt with a noob at a play party. So give me some examples of how people reacted. So I have, it was only two or three people at this specific play party because I was there for literally an hour and a half and then had to go to whatever my previous engagements were. And it it was a last minute thing. The person who I was seeing was like, so there's this lesbian sex mafia party happening uptown. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) I only have an hour and a half. And they were like, all right. Um, So at that party, I needled, I think, two noobs, Um, two or three. One of them was like, this is something that I'm curious about. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I want to try it. And so I did, I think, one single needle on them, um, which means that you're going to go into the skin and out of the skin, right? How deep are you going? Not deep. It's a surface piercing. So the interesting thing about piercings is that actually the deeper you go, the less painful it is because you're catching less nerves. Wow. Right? Versus a surface piercing. So if you... If you pinch a tiny bit of your skin with your nails. Hold it up a little higher. If you pinch a little bit of your skin with your nails, that's going to hurt a lot more than if you grab a chunk of skin and pinch it with your nails. Wow. If you're listening to the podcast right now, you can check this out on YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) Which is also the same concept of like grabbing a kitten by the nape of their neck is not really going to hurt because it's excess skin. Right. Right. So with needle play, it, and this is what I love about needles is it's so diverse. You can do it for the artwork. You can do it for the sensation. You can do it for, those are the two main things. <laughs> 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 you were like, let's go down the list. Right. But then like, if you're doing it for the artwork, then you've got, an array of different things that you can play with, right? And if you're doing it for the sensations, you've got an array of different things that you can play with. And if you're doing it for both, even more of an array. Wow. So it's it's exciting in that way, where it's like, this is endless. Mm -hmm. This can keep going on forever. It's kind of similar to uh, Shibari in that sense, Mm -hmm. because like it's, uh, you can do it very much for kinky purposes. Like you can do it very much for like restraint or control, but at the same time, like you can do it very much for artistic purposes. And it can be very creative and artistic. And the sensation of it is really fantastic as well. But like, it doesn't always have to be solely for the sensation. Right. And there's also like this meditation element that happens with these different forms of artwork, essentially, right? Where mm-hmm. like, I when I think about the med- meditative aspect of it, I think about self-administration more than I think about being in a scene. Um, but obviously this works in a scene as well, where like, you can get into the zone tying yourself or someone else up, mm-hmm. right? And you just, all you're doing is this specific activity, right? And meditation is just focusing on a solo thing. Mm-hmm. thing, right? Um, Which is why, like, if I'm doing a self-needling, that's an entire scene that I'm doing. I will mm-hmm. set up my space to do a scene like I am setting up to do a scene with someone else, Um and I went on a tangent and now I don't remember how to get back to where I started. 
but that's fine. Well, I was curious about, you know, the, the experiences that people had when, yeah. when they were noobs and experiencing it at a play party with somebody that they didn't know. And because I think most of the experiences that you've talked to me about previously were kind of very one on one mm-hmm. relationships where you where you met somebody specifically for this purpose. And there was right. much more of an intention going into it rather than just like bumping into somebody at a party and being like, "Ooh, I want to try that. That's mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. So the response that I had from this one person who I'm remembering right now, maybe it was two needles. I don't know. It was like one or two needles that I put in their arm. Um, and they were, they like tried it, did the thing. And I had one or two needles in and I was like, how are you feeling? And they were like, eh. they're like, it doesn't hurt. I'm fine with it. It's just not doing anything for me. And I was like, Okay, cool. So there's no point in going yeah. on because like if this isn't doing anything for you, then like there's plenty of other things that we can do that will do things for you. Yeah. If this is just like neutral, then yeah. okay, well, this is not fun for either of us. Yeah. And in that specific that specific instance, I was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to take them out, give you some water, pet you a little bit and send you on your way because this is all I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that was one instance. Um, and then the next person also... Um, I, I have a lot of feelings towards this individual. <laughs> They're complicated. Um, but <laughs> they, it was it, for them also, they were like, it's, I don't like it. Like it's not doing it for me. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, well, I'll thanks. Clean you up and send you on your way. Have right? fun. Bye. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like needles is way more niche than other things. Mm-hmm. Right. And <laughs> I, Imagine that there are more people who are needle phobic than there are people who are flogger phobic. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Like my ex-boyfriend had a horrible needle phobia. Mm. My primary does too. Yeah. Yeah. My primary cannot like even like in movies and stuff cannot see needles. Like if needles come into a Mm. scene in movies Mm. or TV, they will turn away and be like, okay, just tell me when I can look again. Yeah like cannot see needles yeah and it's it's bad right Mm -hmm. and like is that part of the attraction absolutely um it's part of the attraction because many things that are transgressive are attractive Mm. right and at this point honestly it doesn't feel like a transgression it doesn't feel yeah it's like i I love it so much. I love needles so much. And part of me definitely also identifies as a vampire, um, which I'm just going to drop in there and (laughs) keep going. But (laughs) there's definitely the like shocking transgression element of it. That's like, Ooh, I want to do it even more. But then there's also the, like, this is, this is just attractive to me. I just enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me about the experience when you're having needles placed in you uh, as a bottom. By me? Either. Okay. Okay. Uh, is it is it different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Let's start with other people. Okay. So having needles put in me by other people, um, the experience can range any, again, like it ranges anywhere from I'm doing this for, for the sensation to I'm doing this for the artwork. Um, like there have been times where we've done needle designs and then done photo shoots. Um, and then there have been times where I'm just like, nope, just want to do a needle scene. I'm competitive. 
So <laughs> what ends up happening is I end up competing with myself. And I'm like, oh, you think that was bad, bitch? Oh, you think that was bad? Wait till you get the next needle. And I'll just be like, you can fucking do this. You can do this. You're a badass bitch. Just fucking sit here. You're going to take it because you love it. You goddamn love it. <laughs> and I do. And it takes convincing in the moment, too, because I'm like, breathe through it. It is an experience that reminds me that breathing through things really fucking helps. Mm -hmm. Right. Like being in this space where my body is. And this is true for any kind of like um, kink bottoming. Being in a situation where I'm experiencing discomfort and I have to breathe through that. I feel as if I'm reaping the same benefits as if I were sitting in a 20 minute meditation, a silent cross-legged meditation, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm learning how to sit with discomfort. So there is the occasional discomfort aspect of needling because every single needle that goes in and out of your skin feels different. Just mm -hmm. discomfort, not pain. Sometimes the like the thing, that's the thing about being a masochist is that pain doesn't read as pain in the same way, right? It's like that doesn't hurt. It's it's not the most pleasant thing in the world, but it doesn't hurt. I what like does hurt then? Stubbing my toe hurts. Wow. Like slamming the finger, uh, sla slamming the finger, slamming the door on my finger hurts. So is it because of the arousal aspect of it that you're experiencing it differently than you would experience stubbing your toe? Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you're sexually aroused, for example, the hormones yeah. and whatever make pain, your experience of pain very different. But again, going back to what I said earlier. It's not always that, sexual. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's it's the mindset. It's the this is what I'm doing now. Wow. It's also being prepared for it, yeah. too. Like when you're consenting to it versus yeah. stubbing your toe. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like when you're walking into a scene where you're um, bottoming for like vlogging, for instance, you know that there's going to be a certain amount of pain that's going to come in. But you also know that you are in control of expressing mm -hmm. your thresholds, whereas an accidental pain um, like stubbing your toe there's no way of like navigating with like the dresser that you accidentally kicked, like where your thresholds are. And there's you also just, the feeling of like the, the universe has, has reached out and hurt you. And yeah. like, right. why and did also, I like this? the surprise of it too, yeah. of just like, ah, shit, this was yeah. unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, like, there's the sensation aspect of it, which is, this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Oh my God. Do you feel that you need to up the ante? Sometimes. Not always. Not always. It's no. not, it's not a continual trend. No, not at all. Um, I it's like, th and that's, what's interesting about masochism is that, well, first of all, it's been, <laughs> it's been a really long time. Y'all. Um, it, if I'm, if I'm actively engaging in masochism on like a close to each other basis, then upping the ante will end up happening because you build up a threshold. Mm -hmm. Right. But because things have been so sporadic at this point, like there's no ante to up because there's no ante. You're starting the bar real low. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, I over quarantine. Your lowest bar is most people's highest bar, which it's is true. just really fucking funny to me. Yeah. I also over the course of quarantine made a few different floggers and I made a chain flogger and I'm still 
dying to try that on someone besides for myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's needles for me. I'm like, this. yeah. So I think we like, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about needles? Um, if you are new to needle play, make sure you have a sharps container, sterilized needles, alcohol to sterilize the space. I would recommend looking some stuff up online. Do you wear gloves? Always. Yeah. Gloves are sexy. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, especially the black nitrile yeah. gloves, disposable, like one time yes, yes. use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I personally use tattooing needle, uh, tattooing needles. I use tattoo gloves, um, the black nitrile ones. Yeah, it's part of the whole experience. Oh, it is. It really is. Um, I did recently discover the like long gloves that come up to your elbow. Disposable. I, yeah. Wow. But those are for deep fisting. got you i love how we were talking about fisting on the kink episode and john was like is that a thing that like people do in real life yes Yes, it's absolutely a thing yes (laughs) what a world we live in yeah so when did you first start questioning your birth assigned gender Uh, like 20s oh like yeah like when i when i hit 21 maybe aren't you still in your 20s i'm still in my 20s so Wait. when I say 20s, I mean early 20s. I mean 20 and 21. I'm still in my 20s. Um, was, as someone in their 30s, I need you to like clarify that you're still Baby Cakes McGee over here. I am still Baby Cakes McGee over here. <laughs> but, um, in your, but in your teen years, you were you still identified so, as fairly heteronormative. And OK, it, so I and many, many people my age have had no exposure to the concept of not being the gender that you were assigned at birth. Right. Right. Um, and especially as someone who's raised super orthodox, there's even more so like there's, there's no reference to not being heterosexual, let alone not being cisgender. Um, and then in uh, like when I was 21 or so, and I started going to play parties and I started meeting other trans individuals and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is possible. But the thing is, I was meeting binary trans people, mm. which means that they had either transitioned from male to female or from female to male. Mm-hmm. And I had not met anyone who is not binary or genderqueer. Is that less common? I don't think it's necessarily less common so much as the events that I was going to yeah. didn't have those individuals. There. Okay. A lot of events are... Cisnormative. Yeah, they're super cisnormative and super heteronormative, but also like are kind of aggressive against uh, trans people, especially in like gendered pricing. And so you kind of have to fit into one box or the other to be at these like in these spaces. Mm -hmm. So it's much more likely that you are going to meet someone who fits into the like man, man or, or woman. Yeah. Male or female box versus someone who is non-binary because non-binary doesn't fit on the ticket pricing. Yeah. Got you. Because those parties are self-selecting or, yes. or discouraging people who yeah. don't identify they with claim a specific tr- uh, trans inclusive, but like they make it so that like trans people feel very unsafe at their parties. Yeah. Interesting. There, there may be a token trans person. That's cool. <laughs> yep. That's about it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I started meeting binary trans folk and then I started meeting not binary trans folk. And I was at the time 
in a life situation where I was presenting femme because I needed to and was freaking the fuck out because it wasn't comfortable at all. Um, and I started experiencing a significant amount of discomfort and dysphoria around the way that people were perceiving me. Had you been presenting femme up until that point in your life or had there been other periods where you maybe experimented with? Um, when I was a teen, I experimented with quote unquote tomboyness mm -hmm. or whatever. Which is sort of the societally accepted way of kind of experimenting with yes. not being femme. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is there a male version of that, by yes. the way? What it's would that be called? Sissy. Which like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. In the same way. I can identify with that. Yeah. Wow. That's why I was called gay in high school. Because I didn't always identify as super like masculine and butch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's despite being like totally cis normative straight male. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing is that once people start deviating f away from the societally expected and accepted version of gender conformity, then we're introduced to all these other terms, slurs, ways of being. Things right. that make people uncomfortable because they don't mm -hmm. understand it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And of course, they're like masculinity is a spectrum. Androgyny is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Femininity is a spectrum. You can fall anywhere on those spectrums and be whatever the fuck gender. And right? your gender doesn't necessarily have to be the same from day to day either. Right. And it's important to keep in mind that women, trans and cis women alike, don't owe anybody femininity. Yep. Men, trans and cis men alike, don't owe anyone masculinity. Mm -hmm. And non-binary people, genderqueer people, people who are gender non-conforming, don't owe anyone androgyny. I happen to fit into the androgynous box and androgyny has been something that I've always kind of latched onto since I discovered the word as a kid, but that's because this is where I'm comfortable with. Right. Like this is this feels like home, but this is not true for everyone. There are plenty of AFAB assigned female at birth, non-binary or gender queer or gender fluid individuals who are also very femme, but they're not women. And there are plenty of AMAB assigned male at birth individuals who are not men who are masculine. And there are plenty of trans women who are hella butch. And there are plenty of trans men who are hella femme. And y'all, that's fucking beautiful. Yep. Mm. You can and, be any combination. Yeah. And this is not something that I knew or realized or had the information to wrap my head around. I wasn't introduced to the concept of pronouns until I was 21. And I was like, wait, I can use something other than what people have been using for me my whole life. That's amazing. When did you first start? When I was 22 or 23. And, and in what capacity? I asked my friends and my at the time girlfriend to play around with these different pronouns. Which um, ones? So when I first started out, I asked people to start using they and them. And by ask people, I mean, I asked my roommate, I asked my girlfriend, and I asked my best friend. And I said, please use these pronouns when I'm with you. This isn't public yet. This mm. is just something I am messing around with. Wow. Is that a common way? Do you know? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Common ways for people who have proper support, who have supportive support systems. Yeah. Um, can be asking those people in your life to play around with different pronouns and different names. I played around with a few different names before I 
like found Dean and was like, oh, my God, this is super comfortable. For a while, I was like, I think I want to be a Dylan. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so fun. I hadn't even considered the fact that Dean wasn't your birth name, but that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> uh, and I, I like I played around with a few different things. Other uh, ways that people recommend trying this out is, you know, when the world isn't burning and. Yep. dying of covid um, go, go to party. starbucks yeah. and give a different name oh nice yeah and then you can actually hear that <laughs> name a, being used that's outside that's so funny <laughs> yeah i don't know why i find that so funny that starbucks is like the way to try out a name but it's so true like yeah, where like, do we all get the chance to try it because so many people have had that opportunity to give a different not, name at starbucks like anybody can identify yeah, with and that. it's not like they're like yeah. checking your id to make sure no that your nobody cares the name that you're putting on your cup half so. the time they're writing it wrong anyway just because exactly. they think it's funny <laughs> yeah i mean many times i've gone just been at you know, back in the day when I still had long blonde hair, I'd be like, hi, I'm Princess Elsa. Right. Or whatever. And they probably love it. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, this is actually isn't funny. I'm just really bored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like playing around with having people you trust using different names and different pronouns is a really effective way to start, I think. And it's I, I like I can't even, I can't imagine what it must be like to be a closeted trans individual right now um, and yeah. not have those opportunities. Mm. What was it like for you when you started making the transition? I just verbally, like with with the, the pronouns and everything, identity wise. I misgendered myself a lot. I still sometimes misgender myself. What does that mean at this point to say that you misgender yourself now? It doesn't happen that often, but sometimes, like in my head, I'll refer to myself either. Well, so what I have been finding lately is that, like during sex, I'm comfortable with he/him pronouns, and I tend to default to those, um, okay. which is interesting hmm. and maybe it doesn't happen that often anymore but sometimes i'll like use she her when i'm thinking about myself or like writing about myself and i'm like is that applicable today oh maybe <laughs> but that's so interesting it, it's beautiful that you have this sort of accepting approach to oh that popped up not like oh my god i can't believe i did that but like yeah. oh that's interesting and like let me evaluate that let me sit with that and see why did it come up? How does it make me feel? Mm -hmm. I think one fear that a lot of people have when they're nervous about engaging with the community and, and not doing it correctly is this fear that like, oh, if I get somebody's pronoun wrong, I'm going to be seen as like a bigot or, or you know, and, and when people actually take the time to engage with the community, they recognize that you don't know everybody's yeah. understanding of the fact that this is something new for you. And, and I'm asking something of you and, and you're trying to figure it out with me and, and we're human beings yeah. and it's messy. And like, th this is all something, it's, it's all something that we're figuring out together. And if we can have an open mind with each other and just show that our intentions are good and that we're trying, giving the best that we can, that that's the way to approach it. And that that's how you bridge divides. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that it, like, I, I understand the apprehension of, I don't want this individual to think that I'm like intentionally misgendering them or that I'm a bigot or whatever it may be. And this is a practice that I'm trying to be better at where I will walk into a situation, introduce myself with my name and my pronouns, right? Setting the precedent that this is how I do introductions mm -hmm. and opening the floor for the people who I interact with to do the same, mm -hmm. right? And if I don't know someone's pronouns, I'll ask. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of practice and you will mess up and that's part of it. And I recommend people practicing with people they trust, right? right? Where it's okay to mess up. And I also recommend, um, so for instance, you know, if it, because I am enmeshed in this at this point, it's easier for me to switch pronouns for people. But for instance, if Vivica were switching to they, them pronouns, and this is completely new for me, if I were to put your picture up on a refrigerator and every time I pass it, I speak 
about Vivica in the third person and use these pronouns, I can practice while I'm at home, mm. right? And I can rewire my brain to think about this person in the way that they think about themselves mm -hmm. and in the way that they are. I found a really great way is like, so my primary partner, um, when I first met them, they were uh, presenting as male and went by he, him pronouns. And after we started dating, um, they came out to me as non-binary and they are totally fine using literally any pronouns. So mm -hmm. she, him, they, here, Z, like, they will take the whole spectrum of pronouns and they will never get offended because mm -hmm. their gender kind of varies from day to day. So like, you're never quite sure. Are they feeling masculine today? Are they feeling feminine today? Are they feeling non-binary today? It's kind of like a wave, but like I have made it a very distinct point is when I am speaking about them, I always use uh, non-binary pronouns mm -hmm. so that it gives myself the ability to practice, mm -hmm. especially practicing with other people who may not have as much practice because, okay, well now you're speaking to me about my partner. And so obviously if you slip up with me, I'm not going to be offended, but I will correct you. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you said he, they, let's keep it moving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also something that's really great to recognize is when you slip up, instead of like making it about you where it's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to misgender you. Just like, oh, hey, sorry, I slipped up. What was your pronouns again? Yeah. And then keep it fucking moving in the conversation. Yeah, yeah that's that's the biggest thing. Like as, as a trans individual who gets misgendered a lot, just say, oops, correct yourself right. and move on. It, like, it, I want to forget about it as much as you do. Trust me. <laughs> and also when you misgender me, I hear you. My ears perk up immediately. Uh -huh. Like, so you can say oops and right. move on, or you can pretend it never happens, which is just uncomfortable. For everyone involved. Yeah. Or you can make it about yourself, which is also very, very uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Interesting. So just say oops, correct yourself and move on. Because yep. we all make way. mistakes. Yeah. We all make mistakes. Right. And so acknowledging that, oh shit, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. Um, yeah. And then move the fuck on. Because yeah. like, obviously you're going to assume that the person that you're speaking to is not actively trying to offend you. Mm -hmm. So if you're not actively trying to offend the person that you're speaking to, you shouldn't have to say, oh my God, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to offend you. Okay, well that should have been a fucking given. So now yeah. I have to worry about like, are you actually trying to offend me with the rest yeah. of this conversation? So what are the other pronouns besides what what we know growing up with the English language to be uh, plural pronouns? So you've got you got your, you know, your basic products, she, her, hers, he, him, his, they, them, theirs, which are all part of the English language and have been for however long. Right. Um, Since the time of Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got what are called neo pronouns, which are newer pronouns, right? So you've got Z here, here's, which were the first neo pronouns. You Spell have them. Z is Z E, here is H I R, and here's H I R S, which if you put she, he, her, his, hers, his, next to each other, you can kind of figure out how those came to be. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have Z, Zier, Ziers, which is similar. You have C, Er, which is spelled C, E, and E, R, and Ers, E, R, S. And then you have A, M, Ers, which is like they, them, theirs without the TH. You have Z, I'm, I tend to mispronounce this one because it's with an X. 
but it's Z zero zeros, but with an X. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that one used in, in sci-fi. Yeah. And there are quite a few others. Those are like the initial ones that come to mind. There are also it, it's, and it's, it, it, and it's. Do they have different meanings? Are they used interchangeably as somebody chooses to use them? So first off, please don't ask people what their preferred pronouns are. Please just ask people what their pronouns are. Because if you ask someone what their preferred pronouns are, the implication is that they are just things that they're, they prefer, but not actually their pronouns, options, right? Wow, okay. Yeah, they're optional. Thank you. So just ask people what their pronouns or their gender pronouns are. preferred pronouns is a common phrase, isn't it? It is a common phrase and it's wrong. Okay. Yep. <laughs> because, just because it's common doesn't make it right. Yeah. Because it implies that they're optional. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm curious. The, um, Interchangeability. That's what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're not interchangeable. They have different meanings, in other words. Or can anybody choose any set of them? Yes. Anyone can choose any set of them. Or any combination of sets. Any combination of sets. How, 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 would, how would a combination I, work? I, for instance, use Z here, here's, and they, them, theirs. So, so when people ask me what my pronouns are, this is my little shtick that I like to do, which is my preferred ones are <laughs> Z here, here's. But if that doesn't work, you could use they, them, theirs as well. So in that instance, they are my preferred pronouns. Oh, okay. I prefer those mm -hmm. over the others. But I'm still gender non-binary, so this would be the backup. Yeah, As exactly. opposed to... So you're not going to get offended if I say they, them, but... Right. If someone says Z here. I would love that. Yeah. You like that a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Z here. Yes. Mm -hmm. H I R. Mm -hmm. Yes. That one takes a little bit of getting used to. That's yeah. like, that's still the one that like, I'm personally like still like processing in my yeah. head and like, I can do it. I do it better when I'm typing it mm -hmm. um, because I have the time to like sit and think about yeah. the conjugation of it. But like in like every day to day conversation, I will usually default to they, them mm -hmm. because I'm like, ah, well, I know I'm using non-binary pronouns, but I have used Z here backwards multiple yeah. times. Yeah, and so I've been like grammatically incorrect and I'm like, ah, fuck. well, then you're just getting your grammar wrong. But at least you're like, right. Kind of getting their pronouns right. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> you're just grammatically I'm, incorrect. Yeah, I'm just grammatically incorrect. So it's like I'm not like I'm not upset about it. But like I I'm that perfectionist where I'm like, ah, well, if I'm going right. to do it, I want to do it right. Mm -hmm. So I would rather practice that one like in my own time, then do that wrong in the moment and then have to like deal with that like extra awkward, like oh, I'd actually prefer if you do it right this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like any combination of pronouns can also look like all pronouns work for me. Okay. Right? Like I'm, the truth is that I'm not anti for myself. I'm and, and for everyone else, obviously I'm not anti <laughs> she, her and he, him. It's just that what ends up happening is people will default to one of those. And I don't want people defaulting to binary, um, to pronouns that to me feel binary when yeah. they're applied to me. Right. Cause, cause also keeping in mind that non-binary people can use he, him and she, her, and still be not binary or gender queer or mm -hmm. gender fluid. Right. Um, and, and, and like gender presentation does not equate to gender pronouns. Right. And gender identity does not equate to gender presentation. And that does not equate to gender pronouns either, which is why if we make a practice of just introducing ourselves with our pronouns and asking other people for their pronouns, we are less likely to err.
How do you see society and media and maybe social media and other other places where we, pronouns get used? Mm-hmm. How do you see these organizations um, adjusting to this? Are some doing a good job or some not? So Twitter, for example, I've noticed that a lot of people have started to put their pronouns in their profile, even if they're just like non-queer, I yeah. should say, cis. So, so um, I, and I'm seeing this on Instagram, too. I think that if we normalize gender pronouns, if we normalize like being explicit about pronouns, right. we're making we're taking the onus off of those of us who right. don't use the pronouns that one may expect. Right. Right. Um, and I encounter this in some of my fitness circles where I'm like, can we please have an intro circle before classes where we do our name and pronouns? And and there's obviously going to be pushback because anything new Takes getting used to. Yeah. And people push back against change. Yeah. Um, And the change is slow and tedious, but it's happening. And we're seeing a lot of people catching on, right? And making more of a habit of it. And also, I recognize that I live in New York City and I'm in a bubble. And I'm surrounded (laughs) by people who I can look at them and be like, those aren't my pronouns these are my pronouns. Please use these. And also what are yours? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you, you're surrounded by people where you can look at them and say, I can do this right. and feel safe saying yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Cause Versus that's not like true everywhere. Doing that, like in right. the Midwest or the deep South that might, or the Middle East yeah. or yeah. I don't know, you know. Yeah. We're just like going over like the American place. There's plenty of places in the world yes. where it's very unsafe, but like just here in America, there are places where that could translate to you being in physical harm's way. Yes. Um, And, you know, I like I recognize that as a white person who gets read as male often, I I like don't encounter the danger as often. I have been yelled at multiple times for supposedly using the wrong restroom Um, and I have been uh accosted on multiple occasions by people who don't know what's in my pants. And it's incredibly important for them to know what's in my pants. Um, important for them, you mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Not for you. Oh, I don't fucking like, give a right, shit. Right. No, yeah, just trying like, to I'm parse not that. fucking you. It's none of your goddamn business. <laughs> right. Like, unless, like, we are actually, like, about to be fucking, yeah. why does it matter what's in my pants? Yeah. Right. Um, it matters for people because people feel the need to put you in a box so they can understand how to appropriately deal with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just a quick thing that human beings have learned how to do. Yeah. I mean, like, as human beings with brains that don't want to do a lot of work, we have heuristics that we fall back on and we associate everything in the world to the things that we already know. Right. right. We have categories that everything can fall into. And when things don't fall into those categories, it's like, ah, which is also this is pulling in another one of my kinks. Why some people have intense fears of clowns right oh yeah you are Mm. you're such a delight with that like you've messaged me about this and i'm like okay vivica how do you feel about clowns and she's like i hate them but i know it's gonna be you so it's fine yeah i'm like okay well the question is is it someone else dressed as a clown or is it you dressed as a clown because if it's you dressed as a clown yes send me the picture if it's someone else dressed as a clown please don't because <laughs> like <laughs> do you have a clown phobia i don't have a phobia i just don't fucking like them very much yeah. and like there's a whole lot of like 
super racist history behind clowns that yep. I would prefer to not engage in. So like, yeah, I would like to not deal with clowns, yep. but like Dean is a really great clown and a great juggler. Oh, thank you. So like, I mean, if Dean wants to send me some photos of them as a sexy clown, I'm going to be about it. But I like love it. everybody else. No, I try to steer away as best I can from the racist history of clowning by being a leather clown daddy. You would. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not going to do the white face. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do those fucking blown up lips thing. So many people um, have clown phobias because of something called the uncanny effect. Yeah, uncanny brain, valley. Yeah. Your brain can't make sense of right. what it's perceiving it doesn't know if what you're looking at is a cartoon or a real life person i know where you're going with this and i love using this as an example where it's just your brain doesn't know what category this thing that you are perceiving falls into and so when it translates into a human being who you're like i see you but i don't know what category you fall into and if you don't have the category the pre-established category of not binary, then that person is just kind of floating Mm -hmm. and that can create discomfort in the person who is perceiving, um, which can lead to, are you a man? Are you a man? Are you a man? What's in in your pants? What's in your pants? How do we help people Um, when they're experiencing this discomfort and they don't have the life experience to know how to deal with it appropriately. How do we help them have a better reaction to it? Go on YouTube and- You're telling me to go on, you're telling them to go on? In in general, like, so here's the thing. It's really difficult to help someone who's accosting you in the street. No, 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 no. obviously, I'm I'm not saying, so some people don't deserve help. Some people, (laughs) but some people that just simply like you're describing, Mm -hmm. don't know what to do in that situation. They don't have the life experience to know how to deal with it appropriately. And hopefully they just have enough empathy to just be like, hey, I don't know how to deal with this help me you know what i mean so it depends on the situation right Right. if you're just out on the street and you see someone who you can't you don't know how to make sense of their presentation just don't do anything just like Mm -hmm. go about your life this is there's absolutely no reason why you would have to yeah you don't have to go up to this person and ask them no no no, for sure i'm thinking more in in a situation other people where you are interacting with people and they're having trouble with figuring out how to deal with this discomfort that you're describing. So not everyone falls into a binary and not everyone feels comfortable in that binary, right? Um, And recognizing that in the same way that you as an individual fit into whatever category you fit into, and I might have to circle back because I'm spewing right now, but like, if you as an individual feel comfortable living your life as a man or as a woman and the activities that you do on a daily basis serve to reinforce that, some other some people feel more comfortable living their lives not as a man or not as a woman and they are living more authentically if their day-to-day activities reinforce that for them. 
And for some people like myself who thrives off of what the fuck is happening, like I, I enjoy the confusion. There's debt. And we talked about this with the needles. Like there is an aspect of the transgression that I'm like, yes, I love getting people to think about this. This is so much fun. Um, and just recognizing that there are multiple genders that not binary genders have existed like across multiple cultures. I wish we had the time to get into this. We we definitely need to do another episode on the history of like the human history with Mm non-binary gender experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I think that people just have no awareness of. They think that this cis normative, um, you know, duality of gender uh, is is how it's always been. And that's just like how human beings evolved in the mm-hmm. family unit, the nuclear family is the way God intended. Or even if they're yeah. not like religious, it's just the way that like human beings are supposed to be in the same way that people say that like being gay doesn't happen in nature. It's, you know, it's like not the way we were born, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But the, the point is that like when we can educate people on this, I feel like it, it enables them to be more open to it. Mm-hmm. When they recognize that this is just a construct that we have created in modern times. And it's something that, as it was created by humans can also be dismantled by humans. And we can choose Mm -hmm. to create our societal structures in any way that we want in a way that is most uplifting for as many of our citizens as possible. And that should be the ideals that we all hold. And at the end of the day, nobody should disagree with that. And if they do that, they're kind of not genuine actors. The question is assuming that people do share that common belief, how do we get them to the understanding that trans rights are inclusive in that and are a necessary part of it. Some people, there is no getting there. Agreed, right? agreed. And that wasn't necessarily a question, right. more just like that's that's the challenge that we have in yeah. front of us. Right. I think that, first of all, finding or, or like having better representation of transness and of trans people can help with that. Representation right? where? Media, mm-hmm. um, movies, television, Especially music. representation that isn't, falling into one of the more binary categories. So yeah. it's not just a trans woman or a trans yeah. man. You have representations of non-binary or agender yeah. or plenty of other representations mm-hmm. across the spectrum. So it's not just like, oh, well, this trans woman like is uh, on TV. So mm-hmm. that that fixes the problem. It's like, well, no, I mean, obviously there's a lot of aggression towards trans women, but like we want to see non-binary people too. We want to yeah. see like androgynous people. We want to see like the whole spectrum. What and are we, some What are some good examples? Well, a couple things. First of all, yes, we want all of that, and we want that for people of all nationalities. Mm-hmm. We don't only want white, trans, and non-binary and genderqueer people on television and movies. Our four parents, our four mothers, the people who started, who pushed the gay liberation movement forward were women of color, trans women of color, sex workers, drag queens, non-binary people who may not have identified as as non-binary in the 60s. -hmm. Like these are the people who made our existence possible. And whitewashing that is doing the biggest goddamn disservice to all of us and to our communities. And that's not like we need we need more representation in our media, right? Please watch Disclosure on Netflix. It's fantastic. It can be triggering. There is violence against trans people depicted in this. It talks about uh, this documentary film, I guess, um, talks about the history of 
representation of trans folk in media. And the other thing that we have to ask when we are seeing this representation is what, it, what story is this telling us, right? Like, uh, what's does that? this benefit? Yeah. What's the, the pet detective? Ace Ventura? Yes. Ace Ventura. Oh, I've never yeah. seen it. Oh, but yeah. They, no, like, it's definitely super transphobic. Yeah. So, like, the entire story is just based off of Adam, Adam Sandler no, or Jim Carrey? No, Jim Carrey. Jim, Jim Carrey. Yeah. What's the difference between them? No, stop. I Come don't on. Know. Don't I, throw Jim Carrey under a John, bus. Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler are both <laughs> the ex-boyfriend who all of America wishes they didn't date. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Mm -hmm. First uh, heard here. <laughs> so uh, in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, like one of the, like the main plot line of the movie is like, there was this football player who like became a trans woman and changed her entire identity, but she didn't get bottom surgery. Mm -hmm. And so like everyone was super, like was making out with her, thought she was super hot, like had all of these like, thoughts about her and at the end of the movie the big reveal is that she had a penis and all of the guys that were making out with her the entire police force all started spitting and getting really upset about oh my god i made out with a dude why do i have no memory of any of this yeah because that's what we grew up with wow that's so that's normalized. so interesting we talked about this before the camera started rolling is how we, you know when you look back mm -hmm. in the culture and mm -hmm. how it's just shocking to realize how yeah. normalized a lot of this stuff is that that today is so obvious to us as being unhealthy and yeah. being damaging and, yeah and if we if we if the representation that we are seeing is based in disgust and based in making trans people the brunt of the joke yep then of course that is going to lead to violence against trans right. people. Because it's a whole comedy because, and the whole comedy yeah. is about like, oh that my God, sense. all of these guys like made out with the trans woman and yeah. how gross is that? Ha 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 ha. But like actually that's super fucking transphobic and that yeah. actually puts trans women in harm's way yeah. because it feels like guys are constantly saying, oh, well, he lied to me. Well, first of all, she didn't lie to you. It's not you, a like, why the fuck does it matter what their gender used to be yeah. when this is what their gender is now? Yeah. Do you see that kind of portrayal happening in the media today? I I'm sure that it still exists. Mm -hmm. I veer away from it. Right. Right. Like, but I mean, Ace Ventura, Petsoteco is like mainstream, like mm -hmm. summer blockbuster. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't think that films that are or storylines that are quite that explicit, rightly transphobic, are being produced anymore. As much, or at least as much. much, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I'm sure that transphobic material is absolutely still being produced. Yep. Yeah. But that's not stuff that I'm going to engage in because it's not good for my mental health. Yep. Right. Like, honestly, even Paris is Burning, which is not a transphobic film, it's a documentary film by a white woman in '89. Um, '89, '89. I think yeah. so. I'm not sure. Uh, and she went into the ballroom culture in Harlem and. Oh, yeah. Like featured all of these individuals um, who were part of the community. And like, I can't even watch that because it's painful because it's painful to be seeing the pain. Right. That right. Being a trans person of color or a trans person who or a, per, a person of color who is part of the LGBTQ community, what that life is. Mm. Right. And how mm. much worse it was. Mm. So do you see progress being made? Yes, I think that honestly. OK, so there's obviously so much pushback that's happening right now around trans rights. But I think that the pushback is indicative of the movement that 
we're making, right? right? And it's indicative of the progress. The fact that this is such a big conversation means that we're going somewhere. Right. And the people who are complaining, they would have complained no matter what. And the yeah. fact that they're being forced to complain now because yeah. they're being forced to reckon with yeah. the movement is mm -hmm. a sign of progress and a sign of moving in the right direction. Yeah. And something we need to work through. Yeah. And I want us to do better. Yeah. I want us to be better. And we're seeing, we're also seeing like more politicians around the world, more trans politicians around mm. the world taking seats and actual office. representation, yeah. not just like being pro trans, but yep. and forcing legislation in a more trans positive way. That's yeah. fantastic. What are you excited about in the near term in terms of uh, activism, in terms of things that are happening? What a great question. Or things that should be or things that need to be happening more of. I mean, you talked about representation is so important yes. in the media. More representation. This is wow. I'm stumped by this question because like everything. Right. Which which is hard. Yeah. It's hard. You know, when it's everything. Yeah. Because when, yeah. when 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 the, the challenges that you need to take on are so, so large, so many. Yeah. It's very difficult to focus on any individual yeah. Um, in, in the short term. Hopefully uh, we'll see how COVID affects this. But for the past three years or so, I've been um, making care packages for individuals who are living with homelessness around the city. And I do it every fall. And I have like, I think, four grand to work with at the moment, because last year I started a, a GoFundMe and nice. someone anonymous sent like $5,000. And so I've been able to buy meals for people around that's the city. Wonderful. And it's been amazing. So that's what I'm excited about in the short term. And, you know, getting back to protesting and making movement within BLM and with BLM. Yeah, those are those are the things that are revving me up. In addition to glitz, which is, oh, my gosh, I'm going to I'm going to screw this over so bad. But it's housing for trans folk and glitz G L I T S recently bought at least one structure that they are going to be housing trans folk in. And I think that they're trying for another one. Nice. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. If the people at home want, want to do one thing to contribute to the trans rights movement, what, what would you recommend? Donating to the ACLU, donating to Planned Parenthood, because keep in mind that Planned Parenthood does way more than just reproductive health. Yep. All your senators. And talk, talk to them about what? Talk to them about the trans legislation within your community communities yeah. and so that's an ongoing thing that's happening in many different members as mm -hmm. well okay is there any organization that kind of uh gathers like what the ongoing legislation is that you can get involved in advocating for i'm sure that the aclu has that information so it's the aclu the project might as well yeah okay i mean i, I, I would believe have to that 100 percent. i'd have to check into that one but that one like because they focus on trans mm -hmm. youth or yep. like specifically like uh, lgbtq youth but yes. i'm pretty sure like they would have at least some knowledge. Yeah. yeah. What about HRC? Yeah. They're involved with yeah. human rights campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the human rights campaign has definitely has transit um, related information on their site because I've, I remember going on there to get information before. Nice. Yeah. Oh, in terms of information, where, where do people start? Where do you, where do you send people when they, when they want to know? For like basic information? Yeah. Just as if they feel mm -hmm. like they need to brush up on their, their education about. So 
I, and you reminded me of this earlier that not everyone who Googles stuff comes up Gets with the, the same, same stuff. stuff. Right? That's why it's so important to actually send them to, to, to destinations. We're going to put links yeah. in the description yeah, for this. And, and I, you've I already sent us some, some amazing stuff, okay, but just great. for people who are listening, if they wanted to pop up something real quick. I would recommend getting on YouTube and looking up trans 101. Trans 101. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And you will find a bunch of different videos. Nice. And go through them and you're going to get different information off of different videos. Yeah. The video that you sent us, the seven minute video mm -hmm. that was like a really great yep. short like introduction but like it was very informative yeah. it was uh non-judgmental it was very easy to digest yeah, yeah. it was and really the, great and obviously we're going to include all of that in the show notes yeah and i i think i also included the the p flag resource mm -hmm. which is uh parents and friends of trans folk that's not what the acronym is but <laughs> whatever um it is resources specifically for parents and friends and and friends friends <laughs> of the lgbtq community and the acronym was p flag f l a g mm -hmm. e f l a g yeah okay yeah amazing um, yeah well thank you dean this has been i'm so glad that we got to talk to you we're absolutely going to talk to you again because we still have so much to cover yes with you. we do this is so much fun y'all so much more to learn so we can't wait to see you in the next one i'm so excited and we hope that you've enjoyed talking with us so much thank you so much for coming in thank you both and for anybody still listening, this has been a lot longest podcast so far. Wait, we're really? we're officially yeah. three hours and ten minutes of recording time. It's gonna get cut down because we had some breaks in the middle there. Holy so it's gonna be like wow. three hours. Yeah. Wow. And we have our first double header today. So Jackie, I hope Yay. you're ready. We're nice. we're jumping into it. We're running a little late, but we are we're getting right in right into the next episode. So stay tuned, guys. We are gonna have Jackie on the show Yay. very shortly. Bye y'all. Bye. Bye, Dean. Thanks for checking out this clip from our show. To watch more clips or full episodes, click on our profile below. If you want to stay up to date on all of our new episodes and videos, click subscribe. And if you have any ideas for future guests or topics that you would like to see us cover on the show, leave us a message in the comments or connect with us on any of our social media channels at Funtime Program or on our website at FuntimeProgram.com. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.